0: Hi everybody, my name is Colin Lake and this is the Great Gear podcast. I want you to know that I'm always continually working on improving myself mentally and physically to stay strong, to stay sharp, and to become as resilient as possible. My hope is to talk to as many smart people as I can and use the knowledge from them to help drive the human race to a stronger, healthier, and happier one. This is a podcast to help people improve themselves with self-care through movement and strength. We will talk to smart and strong individuals that use the tools that we believe in. Steel clubs, maces, and of course, kettlebells. I'm a strong first elite instructor and have trained clients for 10 years before switching careers. Now, as the owner of GreatLakesGear.com, I want to help educate and motivate people to become better versions of themselves. To utilize these tools like I do and many others do as well. This is a podcast to pick the brains of smart and knowledgeable individuals and help you become harder to kill. If you're listening to this and enjoy it, please give us a follow and a review on Apple. Enjoy the next podcast. Uh, Mark Rifkin uh, on. Um, And. uh it, it went really well, and I was just really surprised at the amount of people that, uh, that downloaded
1: it. Um, well, you know, and- man, a lot of people know Mark. Mark has been involved in, I, man, if I get it all right, you know, gymnastics, powerlifting, I believe a little bit of competitive kettlebell lifting. He was very active in the kettlebell community for like since the beginning. He was one of the OGs. I mean, like Mark goes all the way back to, he probably told you, but I'm betting it's one of the first couple of events. Yeah. And, and man, you know, he, so he's a guy that, uh, I mean, Mark's probably communicated with in the tens of thousands of people over the last two decades through those various athletic circles.
0: I believe it was him that helped me kick off the podcast for sure.
1: (laughs) Good. (laughs) I good.
0: I can't be thankful enough to, uh, to Mark for that. Um, that was a really good interview, uh, and, and podcast and he was uh, really gentle with me <laughs> cause it was my first time. So, uh, yeah, it, it was really good though, but, uh, it, it kind of, uh, a little fire up in me and, uh, I've, I was a trainer for, uh, for 10 years. I worked at good life. I was top trainer there. I really focused a lot on functional movement. Uh, went probably, uh, almost probably about a hundred grand in continuing education courses. Um, but uh, I, I really uh, took the movement to uh, just diagnosing and looking at biomechanics and functionality. And I just took all, a lot of courses that doctors, Kairos and uh, a lot of, uh, of athletic coaches would take too, like neurokinetic therapy, uh, stretch to win, or, uh, fascial stretch therapy, and, and a bunch of others. But um, I focus a lot on, on movement and, uh, and regaining the function. And, and I'm obsessed kind of with balancing my body out and uh, kind of... Um, functionally so I can I've been so as me and my experience um, I trained a lot uh, late in the game I wanted to become a professional soccer player uh, I got hit by a car uh, when I was 20 20 or 21 and I went into the windscreen with my shoulder uh, oh, like, man. It was crazy I jumped up last second this is another reason why being athletic and uh, and having time and coordination is absolutely crucial uh, in life um, because if I didn't have the athletic capability that I do, I probably wouldn't be walking like I walk right now. I got hit by a, a car going about 60 km, 50 to 60 kilometers an hour um, in, uh, in Ontario. I was uh, walking I was actually walking my bike across a crosswalk. Um, a bus was stopped. There's a railway um, a tra- a, a train tracks right beside a pedestrian crosswalk. It's not a very good setup because buses all have to stop for the rail, um, the train tracks. So the bus stopped, I was walking my bike across and then a Volkswagen, uh, just, uh, went up from behind the truck and, and, uh, went over to the other lane. Um, not look, not seeing me cause the bus was in front and uh, I saw it last second and I jumped up and my bike went flying and I, went into the windshield and landed behind the car almost in a power rangers morph position. So, um, it was pretty wild, but I had 45, about 45 stitches in my, uh, in my shoulder up to my neck. Um, which at the time I didn't think was like a, a big deal. I'm like, you know, like it's just a scar. Uh, it's not going to be, uh, that bad. It kind of looks cool. Blah, 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 blah. I was really young. I was like, yeah, whatever, maybe not looks cool, but, um, anyway, Uh, later on like my arm right now sometimes it feels like it's not part of my body like it's just it's not connected um and I'm really connected with my body um I I know uh, I'm really good with body awareness and and feeling in my body and after that since that incident um yeah I just I don't feel like I have quite the coordination that I do And, and in that sling too so that anterior oblique sling so the the connective tissue involved with my, my left arm, uh, to my right leg, uh, and my torso rotations, I can really feel a difference. Um, cause shoulders have such an important part in, uh, in rotation and movement. Um, and it uh, really, really screwed me up. Um, but, uh, I kind of came obsessed with he, uh, figuring out how I can fix myself because I was going to physio. Uh, well, I did physio for a little bit, but it didn't really do much. Um, so I started, I met the kettlebell in uh, about 2013. Uh, and this would have been, I think a few years before that, probably three or four years before I met the kettlebell. But anyway, I just kind of opened up this, this storm of, uh, I've, I've also had extensive injuries in my shoulders. I've broken my collarbone. I've broken my scapula, which is a weird one. Um, and I've separated the shoulders three times. And then I, of course I have the, uh, the, I got hit by the car on this side. So I've, Really put a lot of focus on rehabbing my shoulders, um, and getting balanced. Um, so a lot of self-myofascial work with cross balls, with bands, uh, doing a lot of movement based stuff, but I've just taken a lot of courses, uh, anatomy and motion was a really good one with Gary Ward. It's all about, uh, biomechanical movements from the foot up, um, but anyway, I'm just obsessed with, with keeping, uh, with getting balanced uh, and maybe I'm a little too obsessed. Like you don't have to be balanced. Everyone's got a, a dominant eye, a dominant arm, a dominant leg. It's cool. It's functionality. Everyone's better one side than the other, but to gain some sort of functional, um, to, to function almost equally uh, is kind of my goal um, from left to right rotating or whatever I'm doing. Um, so. I just went on a huge spiel about all this stuff, but it's, it's important because I want to, it's what my background has been for the last 10 years. I've, I've worked with uh, probably around 20,000 hours of clients from good life, uh, a a gym up here in, uh, in Canada. And uh, I thought my focus again, wasn't on, it was to get help people get strong, but I went through a phase of three or four, maybe two or three years. That was, My poor clients, all I was doing was like rehabbing them and I was programming them for getting balanced and I was missing the strength component. I was getting so focused on like, um, keeping it to their neural edge and, and like, uh, taking muscle imbalances, uh, out and trying to rewire connections and not going too heavy or too hard to let the compensations come out. Um, and that I did a disservice to my clients for, for a few
1: years. Uh, I'm glad you see that because I'll tell you, Colin, people don't pay money for literally any of the things you're talking about when they go to a trainer. That's right. They're, they're paying a trainer because they want to look better. That's yeah. 99% of the people who will ever give you money for training. Well, Remember, in my the various interests, people have. If yeah. know, the kind, like the kind of guys like you who will, read that book and go to that course and study for it. Those are not people who hire trainers. So if somebody wants to be a trainer and they want to actually not be living in poverty or having a full-time career plus a gym side sport, right? Just, it's just a hobby at that point. It, the focus is always aesthetics. It doesn't matter if people like that. It doesn't matter if they think it should be another way. Because the people who are going to pay you the kind of money that would allow you to, you know, uh, have a, a home and food in your refrigerator and hot water, right? It, it's, it, you're, you're just never going to have somebody that's going to get you what you could command when you can say, look, I can help you lose, uh, you know, 7% body fat over the next 120 days. Would mm. you be wanting to get committed to that right now? People, people say yes to that. When, when when we lean on, you know, well, I noticed the way you stand, you know, your posture is this way, and you have these gait problems, and we could probably sort that out over X number of hours. If you don't attach a pounds of fat lost inches down, if you cannot attach those things to it, it will be a crazy failure, and it will lead a person to believe that they need to go to that next course, and they need to go to the next course, and man, it's just... The industry of fitness, where you're actually going to make an impact on people, is always paying a paying client. Because for, if you give someone something for free, they don't usually do anything with it. You know what That's I mean? Right. We have a tendency to. So, the thing I'll tell you is that, especially when I look at the amount of money you've invested in it, if you ever want to see that money come back, look at a guy like Mark and Tracy Rifkin. Look at what they did. Right? Where was their biggest emphasis? Fat loss programs, kettlebells. Why? Mm-hmm. Because that's what people will pay for. You could he could have done programs on gymnastic strength, but guess what? There's not a lot of people paying money for that.
0: It's, it's interesting. Biggest,
1: you know what it's I mean? The biggest market of gymnastics is for kids. I'm talking God. the money part here. I'm not talking about the that one 45-year-old guy who would pay to go right. to a 10 course one time in his life. I'm talking about when you look at if, if you're going to invest that much in fitness, what I would want to see for you personally is that you're getting a return and the greatest area that you command the return, it'll be aesthetics. It'll be, aesthetics. I, I appreciate it'll be exactly
0: what you're. I appreciate exactly what you're saying. I just want to interrupt you for a sec. Um, so with my, uh, like I was actually very successful, um, with what I was doing at with, with functionality, but I saw myself get a lot more successful. Uh, when I, when I added those two together, so you're using the functionality, but the main picture is, well, you want to move well and then get strong. Um, so I saw a lot more uh, success and happier clients. Uh, that's for sure. When you add the strength in there. Um, but I was never a trainer for like fat loss. I could, I, I wasn't trying to go after those type of clients and I'm not a trainer anymore. I don't, I don't train. Um, what do you buddy? I strictly I sell uh, fitness equipment online, uh, GreatLakesGear.com. So all I do is sell fitness equipment. When the pandemic hit, um, I uh, only had three SKUs. So all I had was kettlebells, steel clubs, and maces. Those are the tools that I absolutely love, and those are the the heart and the soul of the business. Um, and me too, I absolutely love them. But uh, I, as soon as the pandemic hit, I had 10,000 pounds of kettlebells in my basement. Sold them in a week when the pandemic hit. A state of emergency was uh, declared in Ontario. When that happened, my Shopify just started going crazy. Sold that in in, uh, one week. And then I was like, okay, now what? Um, So then I came up with this idea that was a good idea, but I took it a little bit too far. Um, It was pre-orders. So I put up pre-orders and I expanded my SKUs uh, and my product line extensively. Selling in batches. no, well, I just put everything that I didn't have on my, I put dumbbells, cast iron plates, bumper plates, squat racks, treadmills. Okay. So like, were you
1: able to fulfill those? I did
0: 4,800 orders of pre-orders, over $3 million of it. And I've successfully done probably 98 or 99% of fulfillment.
1: My ah, man, I'll tell you, dude, here in Texas, there was a 12 month stretch. You could not find a plate a dumbbell, a barbell. It it could not be done. And so many of the websites, I mean, man, the, the delay that they were behind was incredible. Um, it, it was, it was this absolute, just, um, uh, uh, what's, what's a, you know, like a famine of fitness equipment, man. There was just like nothing around here. It was
0: so like, I couldn't believe it was happening. And what was it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this, but I'll go ahead with it. It's an interesting story. Um, so when when I did the pre-order, I so initially I started with kettlebells, put the pre-order, in, and then I was like, oh my God, I can make, I can actually sell pre-orders. So I was selling tens of thousands of dollars per day of pre-orders of kettlebells. Now, you got to think about this. At the point in time I had only done in 2019, I had only done $19,000 in sales the whole year. And then 2020 came in and I did... I'm not trying to brag, but in, in, in May, I did $570,000 in sales in pre-orders just in May. Now I'm just trying to give people perspective of what's happening to me at this point in time, I'm living, I had two kids, I have two kids right now. um, And I have another one on the way, but anyway, um, like I was living at my house. I didn't have a warehouse. I didn't have employees. Uh, Everything was just gravy at that point. Right. I was just putting my purchase orders, collecting these pre-orders and I'm like, Obviously, I, we had full intention of uh, fulfilling them. I obviously thought that I was going to get them way, way faster than I did. There was major delays um, in manufacturing yes. and, and everything. So what I told people and what, is what your I... Is this stuff made in Canada? No, it's not. It's made overseas in China. So I'm very happy with the quality of my products um, over from China. But the, everything, it is from China. Um, but uh, everything took a long time. So in in 2020 or 2019 i had half a container come in in 2020 i had 50 containers come in that's over a million wow. kilograms of stuff so it was it was an insane i had never been more unhealthy more stressed out i gained 30 pounds i was drinking way too much student like i was just not in a happy place it was financially just every month i owed hundreds of thousands of dollars to people and i didn't have that money and i i was marketing and getting the money from the pre-orders to to finance everything it was uh and of course this is where i i I took it maybe a step too far is where i actually put in these pre-orders like i put in a million dollar pre-order us with a company without having the money to pay for it and i paid for it with the pre-orders after they manufactured it i was i was able to actually come up with 100 the millions dollars us um before they before it landed in in vancouver um, but uh, anyway, so coming up with, with all these, sorry, i losing my train of thought, with these pre-orders, I just, I took that money and I was like, okay, I'm going to reinvest in another purchase order. So I put another purchase order in and I'm like, I wasn't thinking about the cost, the overhead carrying costs, the employees, uh, all, all the money that I have to pay for importing. Um, I had no experience with this before. All I did was, was want half a container, right? So it was just a very uh, eye-opening experience, and I didn't really think it through uh, as best I should. So it was a very fly-by-see-your-pants type of move, put everything on the line, all chips in kind of deal. Um, there was, I was all in on it, but I took it too far. I did end up canceling uh, a massive order with my, uh, my manufacturer, and I actually got... Like three hundred grand worth of stuff sent to me that I canceled, um, and that, that was a huge issue as well. But I dealt with it. But it was a learning experience. I'm happy to say I've made it through. I'm I'm in a much better place physically, mentally, and spiritually right now. Um, I'm a lot happier. There were some dark times there. Like it was. There was a point in uh, December of last year, almost a year ago, that I was uh, contemplating talking to you bankruptcy solvency. So. I was like, it was a very, very close time to, uh, to losing everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, I was told by, by that, by that guy, uh, I actually contacted somebody who was talking to them and they're like, you're, you're fucked basically. Like you, you're going to go under, like you need to do this. And what they would do is they would take all my my inventory and liquidate it and make money off it. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? No, I can do
1: this. that's that's the thing man it's like wait a minute if y'all take it from me you're gonna make money off it so why can't i figure it out yeah exactly
0: and i was i'm such a fighter and i'm like you know what i'm not i got myself into this i owe people their orders i want to get this done um and i'm not giving up so i uh i continued on and uh made it happen and yeah here i am later uh a couple years well a year and a half later two years later and yeah I'm, i'm uh I've grown a lot. (laughs) I've aged a lot, but I've learned a lot and, uh, I'm excited for, uh, for the future moving forward. I'm excited to to help people. I was very passionate about helping people get strong and move well, um, with, with training. And, um, now it's really nice because I can help people, hopefully on a a little bit of a larger scale and reach, reach even more people and help people move better and get strong and, and uh, live a healthier, happier life because of it. So, that's, that's all good. So hopefully some people, uh, get some good information from, uh, from me and from the podcast and from my posts and stuff like that, and they can take it and, then uh, better themselves. But, um, yes, that's a bit of a story. I, I feel like we went into me there now. I would really want to get into you because I want to talk grip cause you're a master grip trainer. Um, <laughs> I got kind of off topic there, but, uh, it's all, it's all relevant cause we were just chatting at the beginning and went in, down the fitness, ra- uh, fitness hole. Um, with uh, with the training there. Um, but yeah, I'm not a trainer anymore. I, training is true to my heart. I do have one client that I work with um, on a weekly... Well, I just it's, He's more my friend and, and we do a training session together. Uh, and I enjoy it. Um, and uh, yeah, we have some fun. But I don't train people and uh, yeah, it's it's cool. But I do agree with you 100%. Um, there's a spot... You got to be very careful uh, walking the line there because I was talking about some like almost rehab type of things, balance people out and trainers aren't, aren't rehab specialists. There's not physiotherapists. There's physiotherapists for that. Right. And, um, but I also have some opinions about physiotherapists. Like I, I tore my MCL in my knee and my physio told me never to like in rehab, don't let my knee come in. And I just went through a, a very extensive biomechanical course uh, from Gary Ward, which kind of goes against a lot of, well, it's just teaches you the way the body should move actually. And at that point I said, you know what? Your knee is actually designed to go in. So I'm not going to listen to you. And I started doing my, my rehab exercises that I designed and uh, my knee has never been better at that. So I've gone through a lot of injuries and in rehab myself. Um, and I've also helped a lot of people, but you gotta, I was not saying don't listen to your therapy. Obviously listen to your doctor. Obviously listen to your physiotherapist. but I'm at a point where I I was comfortable with not my knowledge of my body and my uh, knowledge with training and rehab to do it on myself. And I did a very good job and uh, I'm working very well. I've also done that with AFI. So I've had astabulum femoral impingement and I had uh, an inguinal hernia and I took care of that without having to get a mesh put in. Um, so, and that was a lot of breathing exercises, mobility, and all that stuff, a lot of pelvic work getting down to the pelvic floor muscles and all that stuff. Cause it's a little grumpy down there. And it, well, it's also because of all my kicking too. There's a lot of stuff going on. Cause I was, I, as I said, I was trying to become, I got off topic there. When I got hit by the car, I got a lawsuit, took some money out, uh, took the money out of the lawsuit and tried to become a, pre- a professional soccer player for about a year and a half. Didn't pan out. I didn't make it onto a CSL team here in Canada. Uh, which was fun. I was only on the second team though, but it was still a really good experience. I got to train with professionals in Canada. I know it's Canadian soccer, so it's not really, I should have went over to Europe. Like,
1: you know, they're pro athletes, right?
0: Yeah, so it was a really good experience training and the discipline and all that behind it, but I did a lot of training by myself. Uh, I had gotten in some legal trouble actually when I was, uh, when I was really young. And uh, <clears throat> it's funny, at that point in time in my life, I, uh, I was on house arrest for a year. Um, and the only thing I could do, uh, was I could go and train to become a professional soccer player. That judge allowed me to go to the gym, uh, to, uh, to train for, for, to become a professional soccer player. So that's what I did. Um, but it was a great time, but I, I went to the squash court in Aurora, Ontario, um, in, in Canada here. And, uh, I would bike there at the time. I couldn't drive because the legal troubles I was in, um, And I, uh, I would bike, it was about seven or six or seven kilometers to uh, the racket place. And it was a um, squash gym and I could train uh, in the squash court and with the soccer ball. Anyway, just ridiculous amounts of hours of kicking Um, obviously just jacked up my right hip. Um, And, uh, but anyway, I I did end up fixing that. Well, not fixing, but I'm managing um, the inguinal hernia and it's not causing me issues, which if I, there's no issues. I don't need to go get surgery because it's not an issue for me. Um, but yeah, that's uh it's an interesting kind of backstory. But after I didn't get uh, millions of dollars from playing professional soccer, I uh, applied at good life uh, to become actually a member. Uh, good life is like a uh, gym, um, like a Gold's gym or something like that. It's just like a, a large gym chain uh, up here in Canada. So it's actually very big. That's like, they have a probably about 400 gyms. Now I, at the time, I'm not sure now after the pandemic, but they have, they've had a lot of gyms across Canada. But, uh, at the time I, I was like, okay, I, I need to make money somehow. Obviously I'm not making money from soccer. So I went to um, good life applied to become a membership ambassador, which I thought was a full-time job, but it wasn't. Um, so I was like, I need a full-time job to pay for my bills. So I, then I applied to become a personal trainer. Um, which I actually already had my certification, uh, cause I did, uh, some boot camps and stuff like that maybe a year, but prior to that. So I already had a, a basic certification, which anybody can do over the weekend. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, doesn't make you a good trainer, but it's a starting point. It's where I started. Uh, well,
1: I'll tell you though, I want you to consider this. There's this belief that to be a good personal trainer, you need to know a lot of things about training, but really that's not it. Because if you've personal trained in a gym, you know this. The problem you run into is not, I don't know what to do with this person today to get a good workout. The problem is, is how do I keep them on track? How do I keep them showing back up? How do I help them actually implement the diet changes that they keep wanting to talk to me about, right? When you look at it, especially for a commercial facility like that, the success that that person's going to have at their job is mostly connected. The closest connection is their ability to connect with those people and get them to continue to do the program. Because the reality is, if I'll keep showing up for training week after week, you're going to get me there. The problem you run into is when I show up one out of three appointments this week and one out of three appointments next week, And then I try to do five appointments week three, and then you don't see me week four, right? The, The thing is, there is so, so I will tell you the idea that trainers, that if trainers knew this or knew that, that it would look different is the only way you can make that statement stick is you have to hedge that the people we're talking about are effective with other people. Because I know, you know, because of my background in strength world, I know many people that I would describe them as having a very high level expertise of the mechanics of training, but they couldn't make a dollar today if I've stuck it underneath their fucking boots (laughs) because they don't understand people. They ain't got no charisma. They don't know how to actually get people sold on things. Um, you know, I mean, you think like this, you got a person in front of you, the amount of money that they're prepared to put down today is is probably, it probably, there's some pain attached to it. Not a lot of people necessarily can afford to just drop $2,500 on a 20 package of training right now, if right it great. won't work. Now, if it would work, they could, they could make that sacrifice. And the, the big thing I would want for people who want to get into the industry is understand that when you think about what is your job, your job has very little to do with training and everything to do with people and, and understanding people and, and how do we get them through this experience. Um, I, that's the thing I saw the most coming up in the kettlebell community, was you had all these people that they said, wow, these things are great. This system of training looks great. I'm gonna become a trainer. I'm gonna go through these courses. You find them two years later and they haven't trained anybody in a year and it's like well, how come you have all this passion you know what you're doing your mm-hmm. own results are working and what it is as man is they don't know how to sell so it's it's a the, the, you know like in the usa man a lot of the stuff we you know because all these guys running these functional movement courses you know what they always will have to tell you at the start of the course and remind you in the written literature is that your ass is not a doctor meaning you legally have no grounds to stand And present any piece of advice that goes contrary to their physical trainer, excuse me, their um, physical therapist or their caregivers or their doctors. And a lot of young guys get tripped up like this. And you got to remember, most of the time, if the person has the money to pay you for the training package that you're trying to execute, and then you start fucking around and, and getting into areas that you may know what you're talking about, but you don't have a platform to stand on you're dealing with a person who has the resources to turn around and sue you. Right. There's One thing online when you're talking to the, to the fucking teenagers who ain't got no money. Yeah. And you, you know, you tell them that, look, man, what you're doing, if your shoulder's not going to work, let me give you a different, well, Hey, that's fine. Cause we're not, there's not a liability attachment to that. But when you enter that training dynamic uh, you know, the thing is, is, is gym owners sometimes think that they're in a safe spot because you're having that client sign your waiver But you got to understand the fact that you're offering a waiver for your services is the reason you need the waiver signed is because, yes, you are, in fact, at risk. And, yes, a good attorney will absolutely take a bite out of your ass. that You'll never forget when when the story becomes, you know, Betty Sue's doctor, whether or not anybody agrees with it, told her to absolutely not rotate with more than 10 pounds in her hands. You do that. A week later, she's in a car accident having nothing to do with training. She gets into pain. It comes up during the story that, you know, while she's getting care that you've been doing this with her. Now the doctor already sees an out. Oh, man. Well, hey, you know, good attorney. There's another liability angle. Dude, guys, you you always will need to separate. Am I learning this because I want to apply it to myself and then maybe through an example to other people? Or am I learning this thinking that I'm going to take it to work because right. this, this is one of these career fields where the, the ideas of right and wrong become more important than should or should not. You should try to help somebody as best you can, but it may be categorically wrong to do so because it opens up a doorway for them to come after your house and to come after your business and to Absolutely. take food off your kid's plate. It's just No.
0: And I, I, that's where I, I did cross the line. There's probably if someone did get hurt, I would hundred percent could have been uh, on the hook for that st- type of stuff. There was a time there in my career that I was just doing way too much stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Um, I'll be honest with that. Um, but it's difficult too, when you're spending this type of money, like I was spending, I did one of them was fascial stretch therapy. An absolutely amazing course. Um, have you ever heard of stretch to win or fascial? I'm going to
1: tell you, I paid zero attention to corrective exercise.
0: That's Hey man, (laughs) if you're strong and
1: you're, uh, uh, remember the thing about it is, is like I said, a lot of them, they're operating in lanes where for them, it's a good business. The results that I see coming out of these practices, not impressed, not so. I've been through FMS. I've been through some of the courses where they teach you how to do it. I put some of those things to test at a scale bigger than probably most people have, where we really ran the work and observed it over a stretch of time. And I will just tell you, I have very rarely seen corrective exercise pan out in a way that it matters when you consider all of the factors, mm-hmm. because I'll give you an example, bro. For me, you know, I'm 40 years old. Most of my friends can do. Remember there's always the difference column between what could be done and what you can do, right? What could be done is yeah. Y'all could be training every day and stretching and foam rolling and, and balance. Right. But what are, what can you do? You might be telling me, dude, I can train two or three times a week for a lot of people it's just there's there's a 30 minute block of what they can do and they just got to do the thing that makes the most sense you know what i mean you got to do the 20% that gets you the 80% result and everything else goes on the side med um, minimum effective dose right that's it man it is it, we have to we have to engage with people based on how they're actually going to do something yeah how are people actually going to do it they're going to give you 6 weeks hard and then they're ready to quit. The car will break. The dog gets sick. You get a you know a splinter in your pinky. you Got to quit the program. Right. So for a lot of people, if, if they were going to do anything, the number one thing I would tell them to do is this annually, you need to do enough to keep your muscle mass high. You're losing muscle mass every year if you're not doing something. And then what I would implore people to do is to consider what is your return on investment? Like, you know, Colin, I like kettlebells, but I will tell you, I'm not a fan of the school of thought that, you know, all a guy needs to do is get a 16 kilo bell and just do a a big cardio session twice a week. Uh, That's okay. But the problem is, is he's only lifting 35 pounds. And day to day, you probably encounter more than that. It's not enough to challenge your skeleton. Um, I've seen a tremendous amount of success of people when they just get Focused on, okay. These activities will increase my muscle mass throughout the month, and these activities make my heart and my lungs and my spine move around enough because I sit for you know, man. What's the person sit for? Fifteen hours a day. sick Basically, I, I people, man,
0: how many people sit? How much people right? sit
1: these days? They're either sitting or they're sleeping, and and that's just where we're at. We're not dealing with a population. Um, most of the time where they're out moving around we're not dealing with people where they have kind of a variety of activities throughout the day a lot mm-hmm. of people if you look at you know how what does their life look like in terms of positions emotion of what their life looks like is this they're eating they're driving they're computing you know what i mean that's what their life looks like so when i look at that person, adopted, internally rotated flexed it, they're they're exactly where They're going to be. And that is because the thing about movement is, movement works whether or not you want it to work. And that's one of the other big fallacies I have with nearly all the people that get into intentionality. It's this idea that if your mind isn't with the motion, it wouldn't work. If that's true, then why does everyone's posture suck? Their posture sucks because they do the motion of that posture more than they don't. Right. So that's the first big insight for a lot of people when they say, you know, man, I want to change this aspect to my training. Okay. Whatever the thing you want more of is you need to do more of that thing. Right. That Reps, a lot of sense. That's how many days a week. Those are afterthought ideas because if you really want to get the benefit, just do it for a couple of years. And man, that is like, you want the easiest path for someone. You just got to get them doing it for a couple of years. That, And and that's the thing, man, is it's just a hard sell for most people. If they go to a corrective exercise course, they're probably injured themselves. Like right now, they they're they're trying to buy their way out. If I give these people this amount of money, they're finally going to tell me the thing. And, And you've now done enough courses that, you know, this in any good course, the most important things they would ever teach you, they've already given up. They've already wrote the article. They wrote the book. They did the two hour lecture getting to the course itself will never change the outcome because they've already given you the answer. And I've seen that out of every course I've ever seen in my life. You know, you look at every real estate course in the world, people pay to go to the real estate course, thinking the guy's finally going to tell them the secret. And the reality is he's already told you what it is the day before you even bought the ticket. Do you know you're what? Like, are how to buy and sell houses, right? With courses. I would go because, um, well, you're right though. Like, You wanted to buy a lot of uh... your shoulder was dicked up. Your other shoulder was dicked up. Your knee was dicked up. Your hip was dicked up and you thought, (laughs) okay, if I pay you more money and then get right in front of you, that somehow you're going to fix it. And the reality I would suspect, I don't know yet, but I would bet that actually, if you took this guy's course, if you already had looked into him and read one of his books up front, you realize by day two in a course, oh shit, he's basically covering the book. Right. You know what I mean? I bought the book for 20 bucks. I was just I about to I hell. was just
0: about to elaborate on that and say, like with courses, a lot of the material is out there, available. You just have to actually go out and get off your lazy ass. You gotta go look. it and apply it. And that's kind of where I was. Like I was <clears throat> at that point in time, I was probably doing 45 or 50 hours of training, which if have you trained or have you been a trainer? Are you a trainer? Oh, yes, for many years. Yeah. Okay. Oh, James, so you, you know, camps, you know, soul, business, everything, you know, the training, uh, the training schedules, how, how they can be. Um, so I was like in the morning at night, I was just burning. Yeah, out, only, right? There's only
1: two times a day you can actually do training. So it makes your life a big uh, a slinky of how activity goes. Cause from five in the morning to nine in the morning, you can't do nothing but train. And then from about four thirty in the afternoon to seven thirty in the evening, you can do nothing but train that's but right. nobody wants to train at 2 p.m. So you got like the times that you have to yourself can either be very fruitful or extremely useless, depending on how you're trying to make the week go.
0: Absolutely. I've,
1: I've done all these games. I know. Games.
0: I know all about that. After like uh, some years in the game, like you can have your, uh, your clients that you've uh, you got your awesome times with, but uh, it, it always seems to come up uh, at least when I was a trainer um, every, every few months or whatever. Um, someone would drop off, you get a new client, then you got to switch your schedule around or whatever, what ha- whatever happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite the schedule, but what I was going to say, uh, I do not, I'm not, uh, jealous or, or in envy of any, uh, a trainer's schedules. I'm glad that I got out of the trainer schedule. Um, it is, it's a tough one, but it's, it's more tough for like, like, as i was as i was getting a more experienced trainer in the last few years my hours weren't that bad um as as you're learning and getting clients like you don't really have the uh the you don't have the luxury of being picky you have to take whoever you're going to work with to get that money uh so you're so you can continue to uh you know pay bills and all that stuff um but with the courses i i was just lazy or didn't have the time maybe a bit of both um and i would go to the course to get the information i uh, found that the best way for me to in, uh, get the information i'm really hands on uh hands on visual learner so um that helped a lot like going to the course i i'm a high energy guy my mind races like a ferrari with a guy with adhd on it uh driving it like it, my mind is all over the place so um, to get the course, uh, it uh, it was useful for me. But you're absolutely right. A lot of the information from these courses is out and is readily available. Um, but uh, yeah, I forget where we, what the point of this this story was. As I'm going on um, with the trainers, um, what were we just talking about? Sorry, we were just talking
1: about. My apologies. Well, we were, Really, the the point I was gonna make for you, man, was was I'll tell you. You know. Um. For most people, if, even, even people who enjoy fitness podcasts, the reason you're, you're looking to a fitness podcast is because you're hoping that out of an hour, you're going to get that one little nugget that, that really makes that big difference. And I, I will tell you, for a lot of people, I feel that the inconsistency of execution is a substantially larger problem than doing the wrong things consistently. In fact, out of percentage wise of people, it I, I like that you bring up the ADHD, the, the mind racing. All right. So I, there's a kind of person that if they want a particular goal, you know, I I know people, man, that they wanted to be able to slam dunk a basketball. And they would go out to the court and do high level sprinting, jumping daily. And Ooh. that works well, maybe when you're 14, but like when you're 37, that might not pan out the way you think. You just might not be able to recover from it. And if you have 10 people that are experiencing a problem while trying to, you know, do a layup here, it's, it's usually that, you know, nine of them hurt themselves because they, they fell or they're getting older or whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's that one guy that his problem is, is he just won't stop trying to jump right now. He, he just has it in his head that he's going to keep going. And, right. and the thing I would say is this, those folks tend to sort themselves out because they tend to keep looking for information. Um, I know for Wait, anybody. Could you, who, could you repeat that, please? We just had a little bit of a glitch uh, with the yep. internet. So, so what I would say is this, is that for the people that have that high level thirst to try to get to something, they tend to sort themselves out more than um, really through their own efforts than, than the other nine out of 10. So when you, so it's, it's just, that's, that's one of the big things about if you're only going to be able to work with this person for short periods of time, or you're only going to be able to, to, to get them to do training for short periods of time. The thing I would encourage people to do is just to always evaluate what am I actually going to get out of this practice for this, this amount of time that I have, because there is a lot of. There, You know, every month there's, there's probably dozens of abstracts posted from universities running studies on nutrition, exercise recovery. Would you agree to that? Like dozens upon dozens every month. Absolutely. Do you know what percentage of them change anything year by year? I have no idea. I bet it's zero. That'd be my bet. I bet that if you took the sum of all medical abstracts, all the research, all the verified um, work that's been done so from 2000 to 2021, it does not change the story that, okay, Hey man, you want to get stronger. We need to use progressive resistance training. We keep studying this idea, but it keeps coming out that these are the core steps of it. We, we know for recovery, there's key things, nutrition and, and, you know, rest, and uh, sleep and such, but we also, they'll try to look so much at a given vitamin or a given mineral and, and make it sound like adding that one little thing is but that never is what it is
0: hmm. because what
1: whoever you are you only improve at the rate that you improve in it doesn't matter if they can show a study that 10 other guys bumped up this thing or decreased that thing and saw a percentage result it only will actually matter how it applies for you and for a lot of people man you go pick up a fitness book from 1930 and everything you're going to need to do for the next five years is already in that book. I have seen so little over the years come up. Like I'll tell you this. I can't even think the last thing that made a change in literally anything I do for my practice as I continue to improve week after week, month after month, year after year was probably 2002. And, you know, the biggest change that really changed everything for me was just an understanding. Don't train to failure if you want more athletic success for for hypertrophy, for bodybuilding will obviously look how bodybuilders train. They train to failure more often. They have more muscle mass. But for athletics, quit training to failure and it will completely energize your program. Yeah, more energy. You'll you know what I mean? You won't feel burned out since then. How much has actually made a real difference? Tiny. And in the last 10 years even smaller so i tell for a lot of people your ability to consistently apply the program and application is the only part of the entire bake that will produce the results you know what i mean so i would say like you've had some pretty impressive business success just flying through it by the seat of your pants i would say with your active mind man put your active mind Colin. And how can I better service the customers? Sort of are doing business with me. How can I distinguish myself? But as far as the exercise part, man, a lot of it is just do it. If you can do it every day, very good. If you can do it every week, that's essential. You know what? I
0: struggled. Like I've been active uh, my entire life, very very active. I uh, took multiple gym class. Like I took two gym classes uh, some semesters during high school. Um, like I absolutely just love moving and loving, love exercise. Um, but I found over the last year and a half uh, through a lot of stress and a little bit of depression, like to be honest with you guys, um, like it was, it's been like a dark year for me. Like the stress and the levels of uh, stress that I've dealt with um, through the growing pains of the company have been immense. But like I said, I have turned a leaf and I am feeling much, much better. So I'm very happy to say that. But, um,
1: no, hey, but buddy, you understand, right? When you, when you think about how hard that was, but bro, that was the natural response. Because here's the thing, because some, because some, of, the, some of the numbers you're throwing out, I think some of the people wouldn't understand that. I mean, for the, for the guys hearing this, how would you sleep tomorrow night knowing that you're $500,000 due next month for shipments and you got to cover it? You know, so man, like the thing is this, if I had to choose between you go through all of that or you don't, I would throw you back in every time Me because. because you're not getting better. If the only thing you're doing is selling half a container a year, half a container a year is some hobby money. Maybe you'll get a little bit of scratch, take your daughters to the park one weekend. Right. But, but when you start talking about you did 50 containers in a year, yeah, that's where don't worry. There's food in the fridge. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Like that. And, and you only get to get there By doing what you did and and it's funny because you might even think yourself man if i could have slowed it down at some point it would have went better for you probably not it probably went at the best pace for you that it could have and when you repeat a pattern like this watch how much smoother you go through the next time because now you know
0: absolutely i i uh i agree with you i've uh, learned and grown uh grown so much uh over the last year and a half uh it's just been incredible uh the amount that i've learned just spending the amount of money that I do on ads. Um, like I don't have an ad agency doing my ads. I'm sure everybody can tell that because I do have, I have had some pretty amateur ads, but they have been getting better. Um, and I'm working on sound and video quality as well, but, uh, I am actually going to be starting to work with some agency in the, in the near future, but, um, it's, and don't get me wrong, everyone that's listening, I actually owe probably about 200 grand to the Canadian government still. So, um, let's just make everyone know that as well. It's uh, not, uh, not, uh, living, living the high life yet, but, um, things are on the way. And, um, it's, uh, it's, things are like cash flow in my situation is, is getting much, much better, but, uh, it's like when I, you're spending the type of money that I'm spending on ads, um, and, uh, you have like $500 in your bank. Like that's, that's the stress I was dealing with when, when I'm spending like like I was spending probably about $2,000 a day, $2,500 a day, something like that. And when you have $500 in the bank and you're like, you need those ads to, to, to bring in the money. It, it's just, it was some crazy timing. It's uh, when I, in a few years, looking back at this, it's going to be uh, some good stories, some good, good
1: times. Oh, right. oh yes. Oh yes. The, it, and the, the thing is, you know, it, it, if you ever hit a point that, that you were, you, you hit that point where you say, you know what, okay, look, I got the, I got to figure it out now. Now, I'm now I'm good. Which means I actually, you know, now that my head is above the water, I actually could turn around and tell somebody else how to not drown here. Right. Cause that, the, the dangerous thing is when you're drowning, but you're coaching somebody else who's drowning <laughs> very, very risky. Well, you know, when you hit that point and you're like, okay, look guys, I'm going to tell you some crazy shit. Like I, you know, if you want to, if you want to say, Hey, look, you know, failures and successes can be measured in dollars when, when business is the goal. You you have some stories of some failures and successes that if nothing else, I, I, I if I, uh, man, I, a room full of my buddies, if I said, dude, y'all need to listen to this. Listen to what this guy's about to say. If you make it to the end where your head's above water, then it's like awesome. So, you know, but I'll tell you for a lot of people, the, the biggest prom that they make and this this is in many areas, man, is they just start start too slow, too small. How does a plane get off the runway? Maximum thrust, okay? If you guys don't realize this, a plane, you you know, almost everyone who listens, you've flown before. The plane is almost at maximum power getting off the ground, and that feeling that you get when they get up to cruising altitude is really them actually slowing down now that we're at the easy part. But if you were trying to get a plane off the runway and you're like, all right, look, hey, man, Colin, here's the plan, bro. We're going to run this thing at 30%. I'm a little tired. You're a little tired. We're going to be crashing into the end <laughs> of the runway. Excuse me. It's got to be the 100% or you do right. not fly.
0: Did you hear that, dad? My dad My dad was a pilot, and uh, he, my parents have been uh, very, very uh, – uh worried uh, and concerned about their growth I and would that and,
1: they were dude
0: yeah and that's very fair but uh do you hear that dad you got you got to go in full tilt okay and i did that so <laughs> anyway is, so you're, was,
1: and i'll say, here's the other thing with it though so okay hypothetically if you want to reach this point if you know if man uh, you know if you really would have had to just liquidate it all and, and declare bankruptcy at least you would have been able to do every other day for the rest of your life saying, you know what though, dude, man, I really did try. Like I really went at that dude. That way someone else can't be like you dummy. You could have did paid advertising. You know what I mean? You, you went through it in a way that you can really say, you know what, man, like (laughs) fail or succeed. I did my best Is only relevant when you really did try as much as you had to give. And that's the part I like about your story is man. It sounds like, You went with it as hard as you could. And, and the reality is this, everybody knows this. If you're going hard, you tend to make more errors. So no one is helping to get focused on any of the errors. The real thing is, is dude, listen to what's going on here and take a look at how it wins. And, and I think that's, you know, like I was watching the NFL two weeks ago, right, right around Thanksgiving here in the USA. So Thanksgiving week is a bigger week for football And they'll be doing recaps of how various players in the league are doing. And there are certain injuries that are becoming more and more um, common appearing right now in the NFL. Right. So one of the things that it that it's indicative of, it is indicative of what's going on with the training. And it's more likely something that they're not doing rather than something they're doing too much of. But when you see that we're hitting this time in the season and injuries are going up. All these stupid fucking trainers are going, I don't understand what's happening. Well, as a competitor, I'll tell you what's happening. They're getting to the part of the season that it matters if you made that block or didn't. They're getting to the part of the season that every point matters. The the games in the past where you maybe could have won. They're getting past. Now they're at the point where they're having to go 100%. And, you know, man, an NFL game for almost every player on the field is like being in multiple car accidents in a day. You know, it's like an action movie where the guy gets into seven car accidents in 20 minutes. Right. Um, most of us could not survive three seconds of a live NFL play. You probably think you can. I bet you would be dead. Like, right. There. So, some so the, the thing is, these guys are saying, you know, well, we need to evaluate their training and we need to evaluate all these. It's like, you guys don't get it. You have success minded people. They have a goal sitting in front of them. They have a deadline sitting in front of them. There are consequences to every move on the field. And what is the solution that often makes most sense? You're going to play as hard as you can. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys, they know, dude, they get one to three seasons. Forget the guys that get eight to nine seasons. They're so rare. Most players, you get one to three seasons. I didn't know that. Oh, dude, they're they're, dude. It just kicks the shit out of your body so bad. Thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's the thing, you know, and that's the the question I'd have for anybody is if you if you were ever curious, like what kind of pro athlete you would have been take the way you would have done anything is the way you do everything. Do you go hard? And if you, you know, if do you understand how to get off the runway and you're in whatever your endeavor is, and if you don't have that, that you just don't have it, whatever. But if you don't have it and you think that everyone else is fucking up the way that they're applying it, that's a problem to me. You know, like the internet makes it so easy for everybody to just look at everything and decide that they would know how it should go in pieces. But man... Look at you now. You've already walked through the whole path of what would it look like to get an equipment company off the ground and operating. And I think a lot of people, they wouldn't have the stomach for it, bro. I don't think they'd have the stomach to be looking at how many orders they need to fulfill, how much money they need to pay out, what the timeline of these events are, and where the potential parts can get screwed up. Like, you know, what did you guys do when we're, we're still seeing this in the States right now? There are shipping yards where they just can't get enough men to come to work every day and unpack the, the 20,000 containers that are waiting along 50 ships wow. in the harbor. What? How do you handle that as a business mm. owner when the answer is, okay, my product is technically here, It's it's in the bay, but we don't even know where it is in the queue to be unloaded. Yeah, because they're not even unloading right now. Like, that is a whole level of stress that you're sure you're going to do. And that's with that. where
0: you totally want to under promise and then over deliver. I learned that the hard way. Um, I definitely over promised and under delivered for way too long.
1: Uh, and that was, that's was what... estimated delivery, the biggest fuck up. Is that where you found absolutely.
0: it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was and never, I, you can never go. With anybody listening, if if, uh, you're dealing with a a company that um, you're maybe waiting on an order, just maybe think about this. Like they're trying, they're trying their best to get your product when you're asking for an update, like they're asking their forwarder, when is it going to arrive? And there's so many different variables that can come into play, um, and there's so many different changes of of location, changes of hands, like per se, um, uh, to the tr- to the journey of it getting to your warehouse. So it may land in Vancouver, um, say January 1st. Like I have a, a kettlebells a, a container of kettlebells coming over here, um, and I'm eagerly awaiting them. Now, when I ordered them, they were supposed to be here um, maybe early January, but now it's looking like they're going to be landing here. Um, February 1st now that's in Vancouver now they could stay in Vancouver for two weeks before hitting rail and then the rail could be a week before they get even to my it uh, to the port in Toronto or, or the, right. wherever, the stop in Toronto and then they have to get picked up from a trucker in Toronto and then get delivered to my warehouse it could from January 1st at landing in Vancouver could be like or February 1st it could be late late February Right. It's, um, and now I know that, and now it's, it's much easier and I'm very lax with, uh, estimation times. They, they, I did say that before I was very up up upfront with, um, with my pre-orders, but I I did change my terminology as I was learning and people were calling me out and saying, Oh, you're a liar, whatever (laughs) piece of shit, like calling me all these nasty things on Google reviews and whatever. But I was just doing my best with the knowledge that I had at the time. Um, and uh, that's all I could do. But now going through that experience, I would never be putting uh, timelines on things again in that type of situation. It's going to come when it comes. Um, if you want to save the, mar- like I was offering at the time, I think 20% off for, in exchange for your pre-order. Um, and at the time I was actually, I had a real, this is another thing that was crazy. Like I, I would get a quote from my company and then <clears throat> I would base my, my selling price off the, the price that I was given for my manufacturer now things got so messed up with the manufacturing. Like I had these pre-orders off the price that I was ba- um that I was basing it off of. And I wasn't, I was basically kind of trying to grow my business using uh, like lost leaders uh, coming in. So I was trying to not even make money. I was like, this is an amazing opportunity to get my brand out there and try and help people to get uh, equipment in a time of need they the equipment. So I wasn't trying to mark it up very much. In fact, I was, putting it at a decent price and then marking it 20% off that. Now that bit me big time because a lot of it, uh, well, some of it, um, it took so long for them to manufacture, but then when they
1: manufactured, they
0: had to give me a different price.
1: Yeah. Uh, Cause steel prices change and iron changes and, yeah, and rubber everything. Yeah, um,
0: so like it, it changed a lot. So there's a lot of, uh, hiccups in the road, but i learned a lot and, uh, Yeah, I don't do, uh, I do some pre orders for some customers that want to order some things and stuff like that. But, and I do have like a small little pre order of kettlebells right now if people want to save on them. But I don't uh, publicly uh, do, I'm sorry, I don't do paid advertising for these things anymore. And I can can manage it uh, a lot more professionally uh, now and give, uh, manage, it's all about managing expectations, right? If you manage an expectation, it's managed and it, they, they know what to expect. If, if you're shitting the bed on that, people are going to get pissed off and that's what happened.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, it especially it's th- this will only grow in, in this for next coming period of time, right? There's, there's no indicators that any of the problems in supply chain worldwide are going to be getting better uh, in a mom for in six months. Um, And at this point, it's becoming so multifaceted in where things are becoming a problem. Um, This is probably one of the biggest things that will like in the USA, man, Amazon is swallowing businesses right now like like a a hungry pig. Anybody that they can get any level of of advantage on, um, they'll probably eventually overtake them and fulfillment has become the biggest reason why they can do that. And I they're, think as amazing. people are so impatient and, and even though your price is $15 less than this Amazon price, they're telling me that the product is say here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and they can have it to me in it's, two days. One How day you compete with that, right?
0: One day, like I'm uh, limited at the um, edits and what I can do on my website. I'm not, I, I'm not a coder. I, I actually do all the stuff on my website. Um, I, I just started getting into a little bit of code, like copying and pasting some stuff, but, um, I, I can't, I don't have the, uh, like the estimated delivery time and all that stuff is absolute gold in that checkout. Like I use Amazon, everybody does. Um, so when I'm going through Amazon and you see that, uh, excuse me, and you see that uh, estimated time, it's just, it's a very useful tool. And I think all the e-commerce stores uh, in the near future are going to be having that. They're going to be modeling off of Amazon because it makes most sense. They'll
1: have to. It, it'll become it'll become um, standard yeah because let's say you could fulfill faster than them but you can't show that to me at the time of transaction that's right but that you might not like it's even managing in position to do it better if, if you can't convey that to me you can lose that sale absolutely
0: Um, and like I over my period of learning my marketing like I'm sure everyone's like oh what sale is Great Lakes gear gonna have on now Um. I've got, I'm going to be r- discontinuing, um, a lot of like my sales stuff and I'm going to be focusing on better marketing and better educational, inspirational and inspiring marketing, uh, campaigns as opposed to buy my shit. It's good quality and it's at a discount. Um, so, cause I don't want to be known as a discount brand and that's what I, with my lack of yeah, marketing, I, I'll tell
1: you, I never buy the cheapest product of a thing. When, when I go in a store, the fact that this product is $10 less than that product is never the motivating factor for me. You know, some people like that is their hot button. But, but the thing is, is remember if you have a kettlebell store, just a thought for you, the real goal is to get me to not buy a kettlebell from you. It's to get it where I buy every kettlebell from you. And then the people who know me come get a kettlebell from you. Right. Like if you think about, man, what do I want? And it's just the penny pinchers rarely refer. They, they complain, but they rarely refer. The, the penny pincher is definitely likely to give you a shitty review because you didn't do something they loved. But how often does the penny pincher go back and do a positive review? It just doesn't appear to be as much. And I like that you see that for yourself because within any market space, there's only three positions. All right. So there's the most expensive, there's the least expensive and there's what's in the middle. And out of any place in the chart to be, dude, don't be the cheapest thing of a given thing. That's right. You know what I mean? I mean, right off the bat, uh, if if I told you, you know, Hey man, here's a, you know, Hey, I got you a new tablet. It was the cheapest one they had at the store. Just knowing that would kind of decrease you. Awesome. You might be happy because I gave you a gift, but knowing that I got the cheapest one there, your immediate assumption is I bought the worst one there. And that's yeah. probably not true, right? It's probably not accurate that the cheapest was the worst, but it is connected in our minds. I don't like cheap is. things.
0: I don't like, my dad is, uh, he, he likes quality. He's very. He's a bit uh, crazy with the way he, he keeps things organized, but that has but cool the airline way.
1: pilot, right?
0: Yeah, he's the airline pilot. Yeah, I, exactly. I would
1: think he's been lying to you if he was a slob, Like, yeah, right? If your right. dad was a cheapskate slob, I would almost find it hard to believe he was a pilot that's when true. you look at it, what, it, what, it, what you have to do to be a pilot. So I bet he's probably pretty scored away. Yeah, he is. Was, he's he, was he a military guy or just commercial the whole time? Just commercial. Uh, okay. I believe he
0: tried to get into military at one point, but I think there was a medical issue and he couldn't get into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was, he worked at air Canada. He just retired actually poor guy. Like not, just has nothing to do with fitness, obviously, but, um, I feel bad for him. Uh, his last day, his last flight, um, being a pilot got canceled. So it was like his very last flight. He didn't get like, he, he just got called from his company and it was just like, Hey, you don't need to come into work today. And it was his last day. He was about to say goodbye, like to his job basically. And he's just like, yeah, you don't got to go to work today. It was going to be like his last flight. I feel like his last flight was kind of stolen from him. So anyway, it's not, not I, a nice man. Run, I, I,
1: think. I bet he's done so many thousands upon thousands. It's all the same, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think he was a little bit sad, but I think at the end of it, he's like, you're probably right with that. Um, I have uh, dreams of one day getting him a, getting a plane. So. <laughs> so after that's going to be a couple, maybe, maybe three to five year plan down the road, hopefully. Um, a small plane like a Cessna or something like nothing like crazy expensive yep yep yeah just something small um and I would like to jump out of it i also uh, I, I have done that once or twice I haven't actually done any free falling but I've done uh uh static line uh, I'm not sure if you've done any of that stuff but uh, I'd like to jump out of a plane with my dad flying it that'd be pretty cool <laughs> yeah um but uh, I, man I've had such a great conversation with you and like i um, this is my uh, this is my fifth podcast, and um, I feel way more comfortable. Um, but I I had a lit a lot um, a, a write up of what I was gonna go through with you, and I haven't even touched it at all. Um, but that's great. It's been a really good conversation with you, um, and I appreciate all the the different topics that we've talked about. Um, we got a, a lot more into kind of me um, and my company, which I appreciate um, us chatting about that and and getting that out because. I'm pretty sure a lot of some people listening to this will uh, have a bit more of appreciation of kind of what I've, what I've gone through over the last year and a half. But um, I want to. Uh, this is a great episode that's going to be going. I uh, my last episode was with uh, Emery from Crepito. So uh, I, I like Emery. I haven't done I uh, uh, I haven't launched that one yet. I still got to edit it and get it out there, but that's coming up. So this is a nice segue into us talking because I, I do want to get into some grip stuff with you because you're big into grip. Um, I'm a bit of a foot uh, and grip Nazi like I uh, I'm all about barefoot training and grounding and um, like I hate people working out in shoes it frustrates me when people uh, do say a kettlebell swing and their feet aren't rooted through the floor because I know that that connective tissue that was supposed to be involved with that whatever part of their foots on the floor isn't firing up properly because <laughs> they're not connecting to the ground um, but it's, but I'm also about that with grip. So if someone's not gripping something properly, uh, it's going to, uh, it's going to affect a lot of things. Uh, and and grip, we were talking about this with uh, with Emery. So your feet are the way that you're going to connect to the ground and transmit force production um, as you drive your leg into the ground. Now the you don't really grab anything with your feet, at least most people. So you grab them with your hands. So that's the external. of connection to the world is your hands so your hands are a very very important part um obviously giving you uh, tactile feedback um and your gripping capabilities um they really i want to ask you like why is grip so important in your mind and why are you so obsessed with grip that's a really good i'm sure you get that asked all the time but i'm gonna ask it to
1: you uh so for me it's you've got two sides of it right so you have um you have what it does for you daily and then you have what you can do with it when you get it to a point. So for me, um, I do a lot of uh, building, construction. I do landscaping. I have sections of yard that I'm working with for a day. So for that, that always just, it's I've, my entire life. I've had physical kind of work. I work with my hands. Um, and, and it's, it just makes it much, much easier. Any task you're going to do when you're strong.
0: And that, that's the
1: biggest thing about it is, is that, uh, if we are out digging a hole. Wrists are tired. Sorry, to
0: it. sorry Adam, Could you repeat yeah. that again? We just had a bit of glitch there. My apologies. Just, you know,
1: think about a task if we're, if we're out digging a hole, let's say we got a, we got to dig up, uh, 50 different holes. Cause we're going to put, um, uh, like fence posts or something in. Okay. So what's going to stop most people is whatever is the weakest link that they have in whatever they're doing. And for a lot of people, man, once your hands get tired, it just makes the whole rest of the task just take more time, harder than it needs to be. So there's, there's always been that advantage. Um, for competition is what I like. So it's just for a sport side of it. So I, I, I do some sports where having grip is useful. And then I do other sports where that is the deal itself. So in, in terms of, you know, it's like, a, it's like I said earlier, how are you going to spend your time? There's a chunk of my fitness time that is, is to keep me fit, right? So there's a chunk of time that's designed to full body motions, some amount of cardio, some amount of overall mobility. And then there's the chunk of time that's kind of the go-get-the-thing that I want to get more of, um, what I see in that that's, that's been uh, just absolutely a hilarious shortcut through life, man, through the life of getting stronger, the stronger your hands and your abs are, the easier every single thing, whatever it is. It, I don't care if we're talking about something that you're going to do one time, something you do a bunch of times. I don't care if it's a task that is uh, either related, say, more to lower body or more to upper body. However, somebody wants to divide that. When you can really, really control your spine well and you have a lot of power that you can put through your hands, you just tend to get more things done faster and a lot easier. Um, like I don't even train my overhead, not even not even three days out of a month. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, I don't even do that and it's hilarious how much stronger my press is like in the last three years where I rarely do it. Compared to you, go back ten years when I was lifting kettlebells every day. It's it's amazing what the difference is with my body weight being very similar between then and now. And what is the biggest difference? The biggest difference is hand and wrist. I mean, it makes a crazy difference. So, what I found is for the sports side, it's you have good community people. There's there's a lot of different. It's it's one of those. There's several kinds of leagues. There's several kind of contest formats you can be in each one of them has people that are good at something so it's one of those um i don't compete to go get prs at a meet i get prs in training that's whatever Um, i compete for the competitive advantage of who could take first that day in that thing you know what i mean out of those of us that are participating how do you actually stack up and and what that does, man, over time is it becomes a very, very good bullshit detector. Because some people, the way their training looks, it might not look like it would work at all. And yet they have winning position. There are other people that bullshit work so well organized and so well wrote out. And, and they, man, it just looks, it looks like they're doing everything right. And they're as weak today as they were last year. So you know, for my mindset, for what I do with myself, I'm guiding it by, okay, what are we working on, right? So I'm not going to evaluate. Well, is my grip training working based on how well I can hold my breath in a pool? That wouldn't make sense. I'm I'm rating it off of, am I winning meets? Am I am I moving my numbers up? That kind of deal there. Absolutely. Um, Why do I think other people should do that? Is is because it teaches you a couple skill sets. So number one, it teaches you how to use the clock and the calendar, right? The two, the two methods of time that you need to understand is what am I doing with my hours? And then what am I doing with my weeks and in competitive lifting sports, you, you're typically going to set a date on a calendar. You're going to know what you're going to be doing and where you're going to be and when you're going to do it. And then you typically, if you're smart, you attach a desired outcome to it. And now you have this amount of time working backwards to prepare. Um, I would say I I know a lot more about a person when I've seen them tell me they set their mind to something and how will they shake out later? You know, I didn't tell you to do the thing. You said you wanted to do it. And I didn't say that that would be the outcome you wanted. You said it. So how well did you go get it? The the continued application in, in a sport that has that characteristic of it where you have to work towards a future meet, I think is very useful. Um, I think that it's in, in terms of accessibility for a lot of other people. Our sport tends to be one that guys that were really good Olympic lifters, strongman power lifters, who can no longer do the primary motions of those sports, can find success. So, Colliners, guys like you, they've been in a, a terrible car accident in the last five, 10 years. And they're still good, but there's some things that they know they're never going to chase again. I have a buddy. He was a doorman at a nightclub. Okay. He was an easy 900 pound back squatter. The dude was like 390 pounds. Well, they had an altercation at the door one night and the guy went and jumped in his pickup truck and hit him in the parking lot with it, like trying to fucking kill him. And it didn't kill him. So here's what he's found. You know, he can go to the gym and he can squat four and 500 astonishingly easy, but he'll tell you there is no way I'm putting 900 pounds on my back again and redlining it after everything I've been through. Well, I can take a guy like that and bring him out to an arm meets and he's just not going to get hurt in a way that he could. So we get, we get a lot of people that come in that way
0: that's mean. And there's a,
1: there's a long term of it like some of our oldest competitors that are good are in their 60s and 70s that's because awesome. your grips do, and you probably had an uncle or a grandfather where even when they were old man they still were strong when they closed that hand mm-hmm. you know with with so much of this being tendon even as you're losing muscle over the years of getting older that stays pretty strong so we have people that they've been competing for 30 and 40 years and improving over the years not just showing up and taking whatever. So for me, man, that's, that's a big part of my interest in it. That's what keeps me. That's
0: to, really interesting. That's, that's cool. Out. That's it's awesome. Because there's a risk reward, <clears throat> risk reward factor in there, right? You want to be uh, risking uh, if you're getting injured like that and you were able to do um, X and if uh, doing X right now is going to be really risky. Why do you X, right? Figure out something that, uh, that you can do and keep that competitive, uh, kind of edge going, going with you. Um- and that's the key, man,
1: because if you're a competitive person and now you can't do the thing that was your healthy outlet for it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be a competitive person in areas that is not necessarily so healthy because you're hey man, this thing's getting fed all the time. The question is, are you letting it out of the cage? So competitive personalities need to be getting enough competition and and enough is a different amount per person. It's highly individual, but they need to be getting enough to where it is enough. And like, for me, I'm a person where, uh, I, I compete seven to 10 times in a given year is, is what I do. Um, and that, that includes, Um, participation in, in smaller level things, right? I know other people that, man, they do one meet a year, right? They might, but it's a, it's a constant thing in their training. If you chat with them, it is something that is on their mind. And if I had to put that into, is that better for this person or worse? I'd call it better because at least they're keeping some kind of uh, physical realm activity fresh in some part of their mind. Absolutely. Yep. You know, why do people always gain weight after they get married? Because they have this period of time that they're trying to figure out. Like how much weight did you, did you Kyle, were you married? I
0: am uh, common law right now. Pretty much my wife. Um, how, how much weight did you gain
1: about the first six months after you guys got married?
0: Actually, well, we're not married. We're just common law. But when she, when he started
1: after, after, I should say our first kid,
0: um, uh, well, you know what? I, I didn't gain weight. Um, until the pandemic, Um okay. I didn't, didn't gain weight until the pandemic, but it
1: still has to do with stress. Um, well, I will tell you, my man, here's a phenomenon that we see quite often. You have a couple, they get married, six months goes by and they realize, oh shit, I've gained like 15 to 20 pounds. All right. And a lot of it, when you talk to them about, okay, so dude, what, what's been going on? Why haven't you done these things? It's not that they didn't want to, it's that they had a new clock and they had a new calendar that they're working off of. And they just didn't think at the time, how do I actually get this put in there and execute? And then usually there's this big extra activity where they're willing to get going. Right. Um, I would, the, the thing I would want for every person is to take a look at how many kinds of sport activities, there are in the world at this point, especially because of the internet, the internet allows you to be where you're at to compete with me in something, you know, you might say, Hey man, let's go see, you know, who can, let's go see who can snatch this kettlebell this amount of times. Well, I could film mine and you film yours. And we got a contest going here. We don't have to be face to face. And the reason that it matters mostly for people, is if you won't put yourself into some healthy competition, I guarantee you're finding yourself in more unhealthy competitions. And the problem with the unhealthy competition most of the time is there's not distinct wins and losses that you get to learn from. It becomes this grind, and uh, it, it's just—I was in that I grind for most people. Man, fitness could be something that they do their entire life. You know what I mean? Like you talk to this person, what do they do on a given day? Hey, they brush their teeth, they take a shower, they get their workout in. It's, it's in that list of those, oh, yeah, of course I'm doing that.
0: I'm so excited to get my training sessions in now. I've just recently, I'm sure everyone's kind of seen me more active on social media and, and uh, on my social, uh, like Instagram and all that stuff. I've just been a lot more engaged in the last uh, two months. Um, like I said, I've, I've kind of turned a leaf here and things are uh, going uh, positive direction. Uh, and I have a lot better attitude, um, moving forward. I was drinking way too much, like, I had, uh, way too much stress, uh, drinking, um, way too much, probably like just not, not, um, binge drinking, just drinking too much in general. I would go to, to, uh, lunchtime and just have a beer just to kind of chill my nerves. And then, uh, like at nighttime, I'd have like four or six beers and I would do that four or six nights a week. Um, and I would stop, like, it wasn't to the point like I would get blackout drunk or anything like that, or like getting into trouble. It was just drinking way too much. Um, I, my soccer was taken away from me. I couldn't play soccer. I, I was, uh, I very actively uh, playing soccer. And then obviously when the pandemic hit soccer got taken away, uh, I, Pile, put on a, this whole pile of financial stress, which is a very, very bad type stress.
1: Um, and uh, not, Now, let's, let's, let's talk about that word for a second because sure. it, it will help your understanding of what to do next, okay? So there is very few times in the modern world that you can equate the situation and how a person will feel about it. So really it was these new levels for you. Cause you've had financial demands in the past all the way, probably since you were 15, 16 years old, yep. right? It was that intensity of it. That was a new thing to have to learn to deal with. Um, you know, there've been times in your life you've been told you cannot go somewhere. And all of a sudden you're being told you can't go anywhere. And so is everyone else. But Colin, for you, what will, will help over time is remember this stress is not the stress, right? Meaning what is happening is not going to dictate how you feel about it. You will dictate how you feel about it. And as soon as that really gets sunk in, you'll start to realize, because think about it, there's a, there's a kind of person in this world that when a building is on fire, they're gonna do anything it would take to get out of the building. And there's another person in this world that when that building catches on fire, There's a kind of person that is doing literally everything they can to get to it faster. So we can't say fire stressful. What do you mean? What is your relationship to it? And what, you know, so, because if, if the the relationship, I gotcha, if the only thing we, if I allow you to agree on that, these things happened to me, and then I had to do this, then you're going to be stuck in the loop the next time it comes back around. And what really it is, man, is like, you know, this is how I handled this situation. And then it, this is how I handle that situation. And, and a lot of people will, will use that, oh, you know, well, you're under a lot of stress. And I understand when we start to slip. And, and make sure you put somebody around you, close to you, that doesn't put up with that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I keep people around me that stopped me from ever falling into this trap of thinking because these things have happened. Now I'm okay. Just doing this. Does that make sense? Because now, wait a minute. Now those things happened. And whatever's hard is hard and whatever's bad is bad, but you still get to choose how you'll respond next. And, and the the thing is, this is if that's not true, then, Training would be bullshit, right? Because what is training? Training is acclimating you to deal with stressors. For some people, bro, the idea of even waking up tomorrow and putting on running shoes would be too much. Mm -hmm. And there's another person that the idea of not putting those shoes on and going for a run would be too much. Mm -hmm. They're both making a choice. And man, especially because, you know, as you do this transitional part right here where you're increasing your activities and you're doing more things. Remember, new actions will always bring new problems. So you're going to you're gonna get in with a new level of marketing and you're going to have a whole new problem. One of the problems might be, holy shit, I just had more orders come in this week than I got in the last three months and they came in right now. That's a new problem. Um, one problem can be is that, holy shit, all of a sudden I broke into this new community And I'm realizing if I could add this new thing and get it going, then I could pick that up. Well, that's a new kind of. So remember, man, every time that you increase your activities, you're going to get new problems. And that's good because it would be a real bummer if over the next three years, all you get to deal with is the same old shit day in, day out. I right, really like this conversation man, you, man i
0: I really value this conversation that I've had with you it's been a really eye opening one it's not one that i i uh i hadn't listened to um i listened to one podcast uh that you had just briefly and i hadn't hadn't uh listened to you talk very much. I knew that you were obsessed with grip and that was what my my attraction to uh to getting you on the podcast was but uh our we haven't talked that much about grip and we've talked a lot about other things, which is fantastic, but I really appreciate all the topics that we've been talking about today. And I think that uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy this podcast. Um, That's fantastic. It it, it does make a lot of sense with what you're saying. Um, It it really does. Um, Now I, I feel so much better now that I get my training in. If I don't get my training in, you're absolutely right. Like i the competitive i'm a very competitive person and i wasn't doing any competitive activities and you're i got in some uh, some like just drinking and bad habits and stuff like yeah that. you filled
1: you you created a void so you filled the void that's what yeah I exactly yeah yes, i like to compete and i'm not doing that so bam it's not that i'm not doing it it's an oh here's a new void oh here's a new now i'm online gambling oh <laughs> now i'm going to the bar every night oop uh now i'm playing fucking video games for 10 hours at a see like if, if you take this thing out, you didn't take out nothing because the sum is still going to be the sum. All that happens is a new thing is going to pop in that's going to get filled. And, and the thing is, this is why this is so important to understand. If you have an activity and you don't want to do that thing anymore, you need to add things in to make it go away. It's that simple in terms of what's it going to be like. It may not be simple for a given person due to their own addictions or maybe their own weakness or how they manage themselves. But in terms of, you know, how is this done? Whenever you want to make one thing go away, displace it and it will, it's, it's very hard. If you're, if you're going to try to make the table get smaller, that's very hard. But as soon as you understand that I just need to put more of this on and that goes away, you can really start to change not just how effective you are with the things that you are doing or not doing, you can begin to influence how rapidly you can adapt yourself. Like, I like that you started your conversation saying that functional fitness is a priority for you, but let's talk about what functional is. Functional is a word is only useful when attached to a context, right? So if someone tells me that, you know, um, they want to improve their functional swimming abilities and they live in Arizona and they don't ever get in the water. Well, I mean, you could read every book about swimming in the world, but if you're not getting in the water often, you won't actually change a thing. Right? Absolutely. So for a lot of people, the the thing is, is you got to get yourself pointed at some things that you know, you're pointed at. And in my estimation, It'll go better when it is a, when it is a measurable, I want kind of thing. Like one of the reasons that people who chase the bodybuilding goals, but they don't compete tend to look like this over time. Like just kind of all over the place of programming is that they don't, they're not chasing an objective standard yet. If they've been competing, they usually will. They'll tell you, Oh, I got to work on my calves. Okay, cool. I understand this person's motivation, but when it, when they're not competing, it goes all over the place. Right. For that person, that same thing bleeds into their meal prep. It bleeds into their sleep schedule. And at the same time, you look at the people who do the same activity, but they keep themselves in competition. And they can gain and lose weight on demand. You look at people who like to do marathons, triathlons, right? Their running schedule is usually so well dialed in that vacations come and go and people get sick and things are on the house break and they always get the it. but not the people who won't do races because if you don't have a race coming up it doesn't matter if you miss a day um you know man with for for every activity column that you get yourself into because of how your mind works based on what you're sharing with me i will tell you you'll get farther faster when you give yourself an objective that you're actually pointing at that is measurable in some way. And then you allow yourself to examine your plate and add whatever would make sense for that.
0: That's interesting. I have, I have some, uh, it's, it's really cool because I've been very goal oriented and, uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, when I put my mind to something, it's very, uh, it's like the secret. I'm not sure if you heard of the secret, the book. It's basically if you keep thinking about something and you obsess about it, and you you keep thinking about it, and you keep in your mind, you make it into fruition, right? It's gonna happen, um, and you keep believing it, and um, and you and you just keep kind of obsessed about it, and you won't let it go, um, and you just keep keep it on your mind, and you keep 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 working towards it, and you if someone tells you no, you say fuck you, I'm gonna keep doing it. Uh, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you're chasing, whatever your goal is, like I, whatever I, I had in my, my mind, I've been very, very adamant on, uh, on getting it. So setting goals for me is important. It's gone a lot more successful with setting goals with my training than not. Um, than just working a program and saying, Hey, these are my, my one rep maxes or five rep maxes. And like, this is my program and just work the program. I, I that's not nothing wrong with that. And that works for people. And
1: for certain types of people, that's fine, but only, only if you use a loose definition of works though. Right. right. When we say it works for them, well, if you got no goals and everything works and that's the thing <laughs> is just, if someone has no goals, everything's working.
0: You're right. Cool. They're just doing the, going through the motions and uh, because it, 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 they know that uh, they should be moving and lifting stuff to stay healthy. Um, but the goal is, is a big thing for me. And right now I have a few, uh, a few goals in mind. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited to, to work towards them. Um, I have, uh, what is my one? One is, uh, I said to Mark Rifkin, uh, in a podcast that, and it was incorrect data. I told him that I could do, uh, I think that I, I said incorrectly 60 Turkish get ups in 30 minutes with a 48 kilogram. And I cannot do that. Um, uh, but anyway, I'm making it a goal now. Um, now, it's it's silly. I'm really good at the Turkish get-up. Uh, I know a lot of folks don't like the Turkish get-up, and uh, especially not with endurance and not uh, at the uh, kind of way that I'm programming them. But I'm really good with endurance and strength at the same time. Um, so I can go for a heavy period of time – or uh, lift a heavy bell for a, a long period of time um, and have my heart rate up to, like, 160, and I can keep it there for, like, 30 minutes. 30 or 40 minutes. Um, so anyway, I'm going to, I'm working towards that and I'm excited to, uh, to get that right now. Today I'm going to be working on that train. I have, I'm working, working that program right now. After we get off the phone call today, I'll be uh, working that program. I got, uh, I'll be doing 12, 24 Turkish get ups in 12 minutes. So I'll be doing, uh, I can do a Turkish get-up in about 10 seconds, So I do a, two get get-ups in one minute. Uh, and I'm going to be working that with the 40 until I get to about 40 minutes. Cause that'll give me ten minutes of extra past my goal of what I want to do. So I want to do thirty minutes of get-ups with a forty-eight kilogram kettlebell. So I'm going to build that reserve by taking it uh, forty minutes. So I want to get thirty minutes with a uh, forty-eight. So I'm going to build a reserve with the forty kilogram. So I'm going to take it to forty minutes, which will be 80 getups. So I'm going to do eighty get-ups with the forty and then rebuild it. Anyway, I think that uh, long story short. Goals are a really good thing for me, and they've helped me uh, keep with my training. And I'm excited to go in uh, today, my training session today, and work towards that. Um, so, goals are a fantastic thing to uh, to keep your your mind uh, active and and actively pursuing that goal. And once you achieve it, obviously, set another one and keep moving. Um, the training it's it's been a a really good thing for me in the last two months. It's been a game changer with my attitude. I think I've lost about 10 pounds, which is good. I've also been eating a lot better, which uh, as we know, like you can't just lose weight without uh, the proper eating. But uh, yeah, things are uh, coming a long way in uh, in my life right now. So I'm I'm excited and I, I'm just going to grow. I'm putting myself out there too. Like I'm not uh, traditionally, I don't haven't, especially in the last year and a half, I haven't talked to very many people. Like actually
1: talked um you guys got a lot more stringent uh restrictions upon you so you probably haven't even had as many opportunities right
0: yeah especially right now because i don't have the job um like i I don't uh, i can't uh can't go to restaurants and stuff like that i can go pick stuff up but uh i can't go in there and hang out um but uh yeah, it's it's. I just haven't talked to very many people. Uh, I've been busy doing my own things, doing the marketing. I'm. I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of work on the business, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. I'm pushing myself outside the zone with these podcasts, and I'm growing from it. So, uh, and it's kind of like those those things that you don't want to do are the things that you probably should be doing, and are going to grow the most from them. So now, almost when I see something that I don't want to do. I'm a little bit more, um, likely to actually try and do it because now that I think of it, it's probably going to be beneficial to me. Um, like grip, direct grip training. It's, I have a feeling after talking with uh, yourself and Emery, I'm going to be in my next training block. I'm going to implement some direct grip work. Now I do like bar hangs and like I do monkey bars right now and I do snatches and I do kettlebell swings. That all works your grip, but, I mean, just like picking up, like, a, like I actually want to talk to you about Thomas Inch dumbbells, um, because uh, am I saying that properly? Thomas Thomas Inch dumbbell. Yep. yeah, yeah. So I want to actually be uh, uh, coming out with those. I've been talking with my manufacturer, um, and I want to be producing a few of the uh, the inch dumbbells. So I'm excited and to uh, to chat with you about that and get your recommendation on specifications. I'm not sure if if they're probably, if it's a true Thomas inch bell, I'm assuming that he had that's a, that's a one bell. And there's only, it's a, it's one dumbbell,
1: right? So uh, we could look at what what it used to mean and what it means now, right? What it used to mean was it was referring to one particular guy. And what we knew at the time is he had at least two or three, maybe even four different weights. Uh, And that, that's where I get into when I told you that the guy was a scammer. He had multiple weights that he was using for his show. So that's the historical part. Set that aside. Um, Within the strength community, a lot of times when someone says a Thomas Inch dumbbell, they're specifically referring to how thick the handle is and the fact that it is a solid one-piece cast weight. Now, the reason that matters is with Thomas Inch dumbbell, when you go to take it off the floor It is going to be spinning towards your thumb side. Okay, so the reason that so few people can lift one is because their thumb is so weak. And I mean, like, uh, so it. I'm telling you, how many expos I've been to a finish? I've been to at least eight different expos where we had the classic 78 kilo model on the floor. Anybody walking by could try it. And if you're in an event and there's 10,000 people in the room you might see one or two guys that comes and do it. It might be a little bit higher percentage if it is specifically a strongman event, like meaning guys who do the sport of strongman, active competitors. Uh, You, you do tend to see a couple of guys pop out of there, but um, even, even out of communities like climbers and arm wrestlers, where they do a lot of hand and wrist, very rare to see someone uh, in those communities that can do it. And a lot of times for climbers, their body weight is so low that they're never pulling that much weight off the floor. Um, and then for the, a lot of times for arm wrestlers, they do a lot of cupping work, but they have a weak thumb. Um, there, there's a couple guys that are doing some really big projects in Dubai and you'll see, um, top tier level arm wrestlers, strongman bodybuilders coming through these gyms in Dubai. And a couple of the guys have got very impressive, dumbbell setups. Like one of the guys, Bader, he's probably got 20 different size inch dumbbells. And it is amazing for me to see, because for some of these people, they are so incredibly strong in the gym. When you look at their squat and their deadlift and their bench press or how much they can curl. Um, and they'll go to grab those weights. And I mean, not even move it. It's it just, I think it's like, I'll tell you, especially for You've got two big markets for that. You've got a market of of private individuals, um, but it becomes a very high dollar item. Most of the time, you know, if you were selling one in Canada, I would expect you're paying right now, 650 to 700. Sorry, my apologies.
0: Definitely be cutting that
1: out of the podcast there. My apologies, right, buddy. Uh, so you've got private individuals. Um, you know, what you're looking at there is is it's probably going to be, I mean, man, probably towards 700, uh, what they're going for now because they're just hard to find. Um, for gyms, you probably have a market there if you can get you a couple of, I mean, like sizes between, say, like 52 to 55 kilos all the way up to – 75 to 80 kilos, a couple, a couple of size bells there. I think you'd have success as far as offering a product, as far as training for it though, for a lot of people, um, it would take most men several years of what would seem like unreasonably consistent work to actually get it because we're not talking about a body part with a ton of muscle mass. If, if you said you want to move your back squat up 50 pounds in the next six months, Pretty much everybody would agree, yeah, we can do that. We're talking about the biggest collection of muscle mass in your whole body using this one pattern, right? Um, for, for your hand strength, it's going to be a lot slower because very little of what is grip is coming from muscle mass as compared to being tendon. So it, they just take longer to get thicker. They take longer to grow. Um, the inch is the single best item. If someone cannot get an inch, what I would tell them to do is get some of the slip-on fat grips. You know, fat grips is the brand, but the slip-on grips, there's probably, there's probably 50 of them on the market now. Yep. Um, there, are, there are all different kinds. It would be advantageous to somebody over time to maybe try out a couple different brands because what we really want to see is how well it fits your particular hand and then how well that fits the activities you're liking to train. But for a lot of people, that is the the man. That's the easiest entry into getting a lot of benefits is using the grips on their dumbbells, on their barbells, cables, machines. Um, can be very very useful for that.
0: Any specific work with grip that you do with kettlebells, or do you mostly use your so, uh, barbells and and uh, I and I thought you so, used some. I've actually, actually looking at you right.
1: <laughs> That is a good question. So here's, here's the problem the to giving a straightforward one-sentence answer. I'd have to ask, what does somebody mean by grip? So, for example, we could make the conversational point, yeah, kettlebell training improves grip. But it, act, it only is one particular grip that you're using, right? Um, That's why I was just
0: going like this. I'm like, you're missing your thumb.
1: You're, you're not doing – well, and the other thing is, is I, I could nerd out on you and point out a lot of things you're not doing right? That's the obvious ones. But the the problem with the kettlebell, and it's not a problem, but the problem with the kettle being the only grip if somebody wanted a lot of grip strength is they're only addressing one way that can be done. So we'll compare it to the shoulder. Um, If somebody would agree to bench press, they're going to have more shoulder strength than if they wouldn't bench press. But it doesn't automatically mean that the bench press Is the only or the best way to address the shoulder because we then need to ask what is the person doing next right so for a lot of people the things they need is they need more vis grip so they need more flexion with flexion Um, something that they can get all the way around that is going to be useful Um, there's a lot of people that they would have fewer problems in the primary uh, work and activities if their fingers were stronger to um, resist against sprains, and man, you know how that is. Once you sprain a finger or a thumb, you get it caught on everything. You know what I mean? It just becomes very problematic. Yep. And that, a lot of that can be reduced, especially over a process of time if we're training it. So for some people, fingertip work would be more valuable than just more hanging on to something. Um, and you know, when you are talking about hanging on to something, when your hand is closed like this, you are using a different set of tissue than if it was hanging on to something like this, all right, where the pressure is being applied, it's specifically different. So when someone tells me, cause that's probably the most common question that guys will reach out. Well, Hey man, I need, I need more grip. The first question, Colin, I'm always going to ask him is first of all, what is your sport? So, like, let's take care of your favorite thing first, okay? So, let's say the guy is into, like, Emery. Emery does Sambo. Sambo is, is very much like Jiu-Jitsu. Yep. Like, in terms of what they do with their hands, Sambo player and a Jiu-Jitsu player are doing the same thing, okay? So, the interesting thing is, my answer to him would be, I need you to do everything that you're not doing in Sambo. So, like, in Sambo, they're using a really tight grip, Because they're grabbing at collars all the time. Going after the weak link. Right. These guys are are five finger on limbs. And then they're a really tight grip on on geese. So what I would have that person do would be fat hand work in the gym. And I would have them do pinch specific work. Now I would not be having them do fat bar work. With some kind of idea that that's going to allow them to do something crazy. Like control the guy at the elbow. No, no, no. The fundamentals of your sport still apply. What it is, though, is going to make them healthier because they're only using their hand in one particular way. So we're adding to it. Uh, if a guy was a rock climber, it'd be a completely different answer. So that guy is spending a lot of time loading. Typically, their fingers in an extended position, right? Or it's in a crimp position, very tight it'd be a completely different thing. If they're an arm wrestler, it would be a completely different thing.
0: It's very smart.
1: Well, really what it is, is it's, it would make sense. The same people are smart enough in that they see these things. If we were talking their shoulders or their legs, like if you ask that guy, what do you need to do for your legs? They'll say, well, I never run in my sport, so I know I need to run. So they totally get it. They're just not seeing the same thing smaller looking here.
0: Yeah, and and grip's not as sexy training as, uh, like, maybe to some folks it is, but, uh, like, as, like, a squat or a deadlift or or
1: something like that. And maybe Although, I'll tell you, so here's the funny thing about that. A lot of guys are entertained when we're all kicking it or when I go out somewhere because there's these things that I now have access to that they have zero access to. So I'll tell you I, most of the coolest feats of strength you can stick are completely dependent on the hand. Like I'll tell, I, there's a photo that's on, it's been on social media for a long time. I was at the RKC level two, it was 2009 or 10, I think it was 2010. Kenneth J was the guy judging the press for the RKC two. You had to press half your body weight. Okay. When I got there, I did my half-body weight press bottoms up. You know how many other guys in the room did that? Zero. You know how many guys in the room could have done that? Zero. (laughs) You know how many guys in that room could probably press more than me, though? At least three or four of them. If the question was just press the most weight, I'm positive there were dudes in there that easily could have pressed more weight. But when the challenge became flip the kettlebell upside down, I'm the only one in the room with access to it. Like there's a lot of guys, and they could definitely curl more weight than me.
0: How are you your mitts?
1: Say again. How are your mitts? You got big mitts. Um. So my right is a lot bigger than my left because of training. So I don't know if you guys can see that. I've made my right hand quite a bit longer. So this is my sport side. <laughs> can you see my face? <laughs> yeah. So I've done. So I've done this over the years. So this is my sport hand. This is my feet hand. So what I mean by that. Um, for wrist, my left hand is the dominant. So for things like tearing decks of cards, ripping license plates, um, uh, I do my plate curls. And then for me, arm and left side is my strong side. Okay, so for me, I'll focus on wrist on this side. This side is primarily for fat bar. Now for sports, some of my lifts are two hand, but most of the events are single handed. So it's just like I told you earlier, if you only got this much time to train today, you got to make sure you put it where it matters. So I have some events that I do right-handed. I have some events that I do left-handed, um, and because of that, it has actually made it quite remarkable because my hands are very different, right to left, at this point.
0: That was my face. Uh, I, I oh, my my hands oh. dropped. That's incredible. I was actually going to ask you: Do you, like for your feats of strength and for uh, your arm wrestling and for the, the direct grip competitions that you do? Um, do you train specifically for those? And the answer is hell yes.
1: And most specifically, it's, it's one of the reasons that there are so few people who ever get ahead of me and they, there's a lot of guys that they say things like they're trying to stay level. They're trying to stay balanced, trying to stay healthy and you're losing meats. And, the, <laughs> and then the question I'd ask them is now, wait a minute here's what you got to understand about balance. Okay. So if you look at my Instagram from just three or four days ago with, so my right hand is dicked up right now. You've probably seen the photos. I I certainly want to flesh off this. I won't be training for this side for a while. So this is my offhand for things like fat bar. So the other day I lifted the Thomas inch 16 times consecutively with my left hand. And the only thing I'll say is Anybody in the world who is worried that I am too out of balance needs to show me what they can do with their offhand in the inch I, when so few guys can lift it once and for me, dude, like my warm-up sets are sets of 10 so the, the difference is this balance to me only means that you're not going into a pain state it would be possible to, to bring something so far into a problem area, like for example Um, if you only do curls, only curls, the problem you could eventually get into is that your elbow is being pulled into supination continuously, even when you need it to pronate so you can get into pain, but it does not mean that, um, that, that the muscles, the problem in terms of there's too much of it. The problem is there's not enough tricep. That's the important difference. Once again, joints and take away, we add to. You know what I mean?
0: Makes a lot of sense. And I, as I learn more, and as I get older, um, and as I talk to smarter people than me, and that have more experience than me, or at least smarter in their, the, what we're talking about, <laughs> um,
1: or maybe in general, <laughs> but uh, um, it's always contextual. Remember, you don't you don't determine how smart a dog is by giving him a typing test, right? right. Yes. So oh, hey, yeah. some people some people are incredibly smart, but they're not smart in the ways that matter. So like here's the deal, there are plenty of people that I would tell them, oh you're an idiot on this. You're you're not an idiot, but you're an idiot on this. And all yeah, that yeah. means is is that question your thoughts before you go too far in. I mm-hmm. can um, I I can usually get a good guess of how old somebody is when they'll do the old Hey, Adam, you got a minute. I just want to send you what my program I'm working is and tell me what you think of it. You know, Hey, sure. Like for me, if if you guys, if you message me on Instagram, I'll probably hit you back, whatever. You can always tell that they're like single, no kids, not married, not even a serious job yet. (laughs) The length of their program. Then that's the thing because they'll be like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, man, I'm, you know, I'm really, I want to get into grip this year. I say, Hey dude, awesome. I remember when I was like, you show me what you're doing and they'll send all that back. And then I'll respond. like cool. Let me show you what I'm doing today. I'm doing three things today. Just yeah. three.
0: You getting that minimum effective dose is what it. you want.
1: Because remember for getting better, man, here's the deal. I don't know if there is a limit of over time, how good you can get, but I'm positive that on any given day, you probably can only get the tiniest amount today and the game is is there's no catch-ups so you know it's it's kind of a thing of like every day you could walk outside the front door and there's a 20 dollar bill laying in front of your door but if you don't pick it up for three days when you open the door in the fourth it's only a 20 it's not 80. does that make sense like there's only this much you can get today so you're, you're, what you're going to get over time is the, the collective sum of how many times you opened the door and took the 120. And, and you know what I mean? Like most of the time doing one or two things really well, it's like get ups, get ups a great example. If you were only going to do one thing for 20 minutes a day and you knew like, dude, I can definitely, I got the kids fed. I've got a little bit of time. I can definitely get out to the garage doing get ups for 20 minutes not a bad use of your time especially if the alternative in someone's mind is they think they need to do three directions of lateral raises and they need to do rotation and they need to press and do upright rows you ain't getting all this shit done in 30 minutes right you, you're not you're probably able to get two or three good things done but you probably could get that done every day that's yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, I used to have a little bit longer programs. Um, like I was following some programs from Granville mayors, strong fella in Toronto. Um, but, uh, yeah, they've gone to probably about 45 minutes to an hour and a half uh, now. And, um, that's, that's the time that I can allot for it. Um, and getting the best bang for your buck and putting those deposits where you're going to get the most return on your investment makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, it just, it, it adds up. Um, so what you're saying makes 100% sense, and I'm gonna every. It's funny. Every podcast that I've had so far, um, I've taken uh, a lot of knowledge from it, and I've I've applied some of it to the, the training that I'm doing. So the next uh, block of training, I'm gonna be definitely like I've said this before. I'll be putting a lot. Uh, well, I'm gonna be putting some uh, grip specific work into it. Um, if you're to what what grip specific work uh, if I had uh, one exercise to, uh, to add to my program, what, what would you recommend? I guess you would obviously ask what my goal is and what do I want to improve upon? Um, so what do I want to improve upon? Um, well, um, I'm going for that 48 kilogram. Uh, so the wrist strength uh, in, I, I think that wrist flexion is something that I want to uh, keep strong. Uh, I do have a goal of doing a 72 kilogram get up as well. Uh, and I want to get down to my body weight of about 165 pounds and do it. I weigh right now uh, about 180 pounds. Um, when I was 165 pounds, I could do a 64 kilogram get up, which is pretty cool. But I want to get to uh, that 72 kilogram kettlebell. Interesting fact: um, I own the Great Lakes Gear, and they have we have the largest kettlebell lineup in the world. I made and designed um, kettlebells to kind of bridge the gap in between uh the large sizes because i want to use these big bells so uh traditionally they go like 60 68 80 and uh 92. 92 that's when i got i got the
1: 92 the 80 the 68 and the 56
0: right so um i might have to get you uh one of my bells um the uh they're neat because they're really thick handle design which i think you'd like but they're they're, the bridge the gap. So I got 64, 64 has been around, so there's other 64s there, but I have a 64, but then I made the 72, 76, 84, 88 and hundred kilogram. So they're pretty neat, but I want, I have a goal of getting that, uh, I designed these kettlebells, uh, for the press and for the get up. So they're a large handle. So the leverage uh, goes farther down on your forearm. So it doesn't feel like your uh, wrist is going to snap, um, with that heavy, heavy weight. Um, but, uh, so I, my wrist flexion is a big thing that I want to improve upon. So what, uh, just keeping that flex position, this is interesting too. With the kettlebells, I want to get your two cents on this. So when I have a, so let's just say a 60 kilogram kettlebell and I see when I, when I look at really strong people doing movements, I try trying to figure out what, how, like, what are they doing? To, what are they doing? Right? What are they doing? So right. That this is so, so strong. And, with the larger bells uh, it kind of goes against like the practice of strong first and RKC they uh, they're into a bit of extension and that's uh, what I believe is because of the the pain tolerance of the kettlebell um, digging into their forearm and it's actually you can get a stronger position with a slightly flat slightly extended position because you're not getting the pain from the forearm going in your arm because when you get pain it sends starts to uh, shut signals off neurologically and you can't grip shit anymore um, but uh, it's really interesting so so uh, I
1: press the 68 weekly like that's for me 56 and 68 those are my two press bells Wow man could yeah like a 56 a set of five or six reps is effortless like strict press dude yeah, it's, it's 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 once again it comes down to like you said if you're not getting pain you, you think about it most people when they rack that bell and they want to press it the first problem they're having is already being told don't do that. So the position I'm going to use the press in is going to look exactly like that.
0: I really appreciate your feedback. It's going, be,
1: it's going to be an extension and here's why.
0: That makes me feel good about, cause I'm right with that
1: situation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need the handle to go across this right here. If I'm trying to hold it here, where's the handle pulling now? It's all in the wrong angle. So yeah, you're going to need to press from an extended position. Right. Um, and that gets into, what somebody's going to be able to do with a 16 kilo or a 24 kilo kettlebell is going to be a wider area of safe places. As it gets heavier, though, the actual safe way to do it starts to get very narrow. Now, here's where Strong First and RKC are wrong and categorically wrong for many years now. They try to pick the spot for you, and it can't be done. So I've done heavier get ups than I would bet any of those guys have done on video. They can, they can look at my channel. These guys know who I am and I would argue with them about the way they're teaching people to do get ups. Cause they said the safe way was the way they're doing it. But I would say, no, the safe way is whatever that person can do. So here's what will add 10 kilos for you. Okay. When you want to get into position, you back up into it, not move forward into it. That'll add 10 kilos to whatever get up you're currently doing is to just understand that once you've got this object above you, right? the easiest way to keep it in position is to be continuously backing into it because where it wants to go is either dump into your lap or go over your shoulder. So just let it go where it's already going to be strong. It's really hard to stop a weight once it gets to here. But if you have room to keep going, this is actually really safe because I have this place play area so when you want to get a really heavy get up the thing to understand is as soon as you start to roll to press you'll be backing up to stay under it not going forward
0: so you that's your... what
1: i'm saying back up into it are you like you're talking about when you're physically stepping up well no you're going to be scooting as it gets heavier at the heaviest weights all of your motions are small little chunks small little chunks I, when we get when we get off today, I'll bounce the video over to you. I was but gonna do just, one. I get I get you walk me through it. Well, you're gonna do what whatever someone's ever seen. So unless you're gonna go heavy, it won't apply. So show me the heaviest one that that you can do without sure. getting sure. stuck.
0: Yeah, sure. Just one moment. I'll just get the camera over. Because the you know the
1: thing we get into is is there's always a really big difference between um, the weights that are still you've got a big oh shit zone and then you've got the weights where the oh shit zone gets really specific. Yeah, yeah. So from right there, we'll be able to see. Okay.
0: So I'm just going to grab a kettlebell. I'll grab a, uh, I'll grab a 60. So I'm just going to check. yep You yep. won't be able to hear me very well. I'm old to actually test it. I don't know how I I do like need it. to hear you.
1: I just need to see you. Okay.
0: Is that a good spot right there? Yeah, perfect. Okay, perfect. All right,
1: chalk up and go. Huh. Huh. See, and that's still, that's still a pretty easy weight for you because there's a couple of things you're doing that you'll find you'll, you'll, you'll move away from as it gets even heavier to where you're at. And, and the, the, like the two things, the two areas you'll see that'll let you start to just get to absolutely stupid weights, okay? So imagine I'm on my elbow trying to get up. If you think about So some people have inclination that they want to go spine towards the elbow, right? But the more you can get the elbow under you, the more weight you're going to move. So if you could just see it as, man, how do I get this thing where every motion is I'm moving more underneath the bell rather than anything that moves the bell over the top of me, it'll add so much. Like you'll, you'll probably be getting your 80. Have you ever done your 80? I have never honestly the
0: uh the 68 that i had felt like it was gonna snap my hand so that's why i designed the
1: limit the limit right now is wrist but you think you could probably move it around i bet you could
0: yeah i think so the weight wise yeah yeah, if i had the right design of the bell if it wasn't digging into my hand
1: well my arm yeah i think colin is is do you have a dumbbell that you can just load enough weight on with that it can be safely collared Usually for dumbbells, the the danger is you gotta have good locking collars so that the damn stack doesn't slide off. Right. But if you can lock it all down. Dumbbells are great for this. Barbells are good because if you do lose it, it's so far away from you, you're not gonna get weights falling directly on your person.
0: I have a hundred and twenty five pound weight. Is that heavy enough? I'm
1: thinking no. I'm, no. I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, okay. I'm thinking for you it'd be absolutely useful. But uh, you know, I'd like to see you do some. Um, barbell attempts where where you can just play with far far heavier and the mindset i want you to think about is is that okay As this is getting heavier if you think about a circle the safe place to be in is getting smaller and smaller so i'm going to limit how much distance i'm trying to cover per effort and instead just stay under this thing and what you're going to find is it's going to change up what your get-ups are looking like now, and it's going to elevate the amount of resistance you can use by a pretty sharp amount. Go, the other thing for going to a barbell for you, it's going to take away the limitation of the bell currently pulling on you, and um, it'll increase.
0: It'll increase the strength in that slightly flexed position too, right? So you are going to get, you're going to get strong in what positions that you that you train in. And traditionally, I've been training like our, like get that wrist as flex as you possibly can. That's like, yeah. no, terrible. Yeah. You think about it.
1: The only direction you're going to apply force when you get to here is towards you. Right. So in jujitsu, this makes sense and wrestling, this makes sense and arm wrestling. This makes sense. But if I needed to push you away from me, that's where I need to push you from. Yeah. So, and that might be something that's been holding your press back right now is if you're currently, so here's what i tell you to do is in, instead of even thinking about your hand, the two things we need is we need to line it up on the kettlebell where from the start to the end of the press, you're not having any motion here. So if that means you go to here and set it up, or if you go to here, go to whatever, but it needs to be where this isn't even moving. And now the only thing that's on your mind is reach above my head. If right. we get it to where it's reach above my head, the amount of weight you can move goes up way, way faster. Uh, and that gets into, this, there's this idea that maybe somebody knows how to run your body better than you, so they're telling you, you know, we'll always do this and never do that. Man, it's not that those statements are bad; it's that they're untested. Right. Test it before you agree that it's true. If someone yeah. told you at one point that you should be pressing with flexed wrist, okay, that's someone's opinion. The first experiment is with the same weight. Do I press it more if I'm flexed, not flexed, or even extended? And you'll probably find extended is a hell of a lot more weight because yes. it's an extension direction.
0: Well, it doesn't make sense. Like you were saying, you're not stacking the weight over your, your radius and ulna. You're, you're just kind of floating it over in no man's land, Like you want to have it directly over those pressure points. The other
1: thing is, is for a smaller model kettlebell, now the problem you get into is that when you do this, it means you're moving the body of the weight, right? That's what's going to happen. Well, if the body sits on these bones, yeah, that shit's going to be painful. You know, you, that's, that's the problem of going to a Target or Walmart and buying a cheapo kettlebell is the ratios are wrong. And every time you rack it, it's sitting on those bones. I know. You don't want anything sitting on those bones. That shit's not good for you, man. I'm a
0: big, uh, I'm, I'm a big um, fan of specific window designs. Pacific- you go from 2,000 to about
1: 2008, there was only two places you could even get a Kettlebell in the USA. And that did not stop the whole thing from exploding into being, right? Right. When Dragondor, when they first got going, they offered a 16, a 24, a 32. And for years, that was it. Then they introduced a 12 kilo, and then I think an eight. And maybe even like this goofy, ugly ass little round rubber Piece of shit looking six kilo one, and they didn't even bring out the forty and forty eight for years and years. Then they had a thirty six. They had the forty. I don't think they ever went forty four, but other people did. And when you looked at their sales, as as their market kept expanding, yeah, they had some guys order forty eight, and then they tacked that whole beast tamer shit, right? And they what they did is they put a challenge behind the products because the list always sells. But if you look at the bulk of their sales, like when you go from 2008, 9, 10, like they, they were making money hand over fist when you look at 2008 to 2010. They had no competition in the marketplace. They're having 100 people come out, to certifications. They were selling pallets, of kettlebells at these things. But when you looked inside the pallet, what did you see? 12s, 16s, 24s. That that is that's where you're gonna make money in your business that way. Absolutely. Everything else, it's cool to have if it's if you're still selling the other things. Um, but if you you know, if if it came down to where your kids' Christmas next year was hedged on how many 72 kilo bells you'd sell, it'd be a tough year. Yeah. There's 100%. just not that many dudes reason, that are gonna handle that thing, man. Hundred percent.
0: And you know what? It's just—it's kind of like, uh, possibly the way I did my training. Like, I wanted to rehab myself. Yep. <laughs> so I—I I invested a lot of money and used myself and fixed. I've—I've I've, I've not maybe fixed, but I've uh, made myself uh, pain-free and 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 strong. So, which is very very important. Which which is
1: awesome for you. But remember, it's like I said. You know how many people in the market are operating the way you are? Very, very exactly.
0: And you know, and the seventy-two. I wanted to. It's all about me. I wanted to do the seventy-two get-ups, <laughs> but uh, with a secondary thing of I did want to make a statement uh, with the kettlebell world. And I actually um, started the process of uh, designing these with uh, kettlebell Carl and Zach Kirchner, some really um, behemoths in the the kettlebell world. Um, really if you have some time check out their pages there are some strong wicked individuals Um, I'm sure they are but man for me
1: I don't I just don't follow it I think that they're cool weights but yeah you know just same way I don't follow pro golf and I don't follow the indie car racing and um, I, I think if they're doing great go for it I'll tell you the the kettlebell world got hijacked by a bad idea early on and the idea was uh, that you need to do all this shit before you ever pick up a kettlebell or you're just not going to make it. And the reality is, is that shit's not true. Right. There have been more people hurt by people who are trying to teach them kettlebells than there are people who hurt themselves on their own accord. So one of the things that, that's attached to it is this idea that the swing needs to be this way. If you ever watched the Russians where they lift for the fucking hundreds of reps in 10 minutes? You notice oh, the yeah. tech group is zero man, I'm comparable to the North American tech. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'm not stuck on one style or the
1: other. Um, and that's, well, here's the deal though, for the guys that are in that circle, that's kind of the only way, like, they don't have enough going on right now for them to be able to ever cause people to spend money with them unless they can convince it's a, it's a whole. I'm going to give you the problem and give you the solution, right? The the people don't have a problem, so they got to give them a problem oh, you're not pressing it the right way and you're not doing this, you're not doing that right. And then they need to sell them the solution. And what we've seen pandered in North America is from top to bottom awful. Like it may be a little bit different now because some of the guys have actually dabbled in a sport. But I will tell you, if you go back to the origin of the RKC, one of the funniest things about what – because the story of them, man, was they had a strong group and then it splintered apart – And they got a new group that wasn't as strong, but it was bigger and then it splintered apart. And the quality came down a lot over the years as it just got bigger and bigger, which that's what happens, right? The first restaurant of a franchise tastes different than the hundredth. So in 2006, it was either end of 2005 or six, but a couple of Pavel's guys led this excursion to Russia And they were going over there telling the Russians how we're the fucking premier kettlebell guys in North America. And they got outlifted by teenagers. Steve Cotter got drunk one night, got on this message board, told everybody the full truth. Holy shit. We can't even keep up with what the teenagers do. None of their lifts look like what we're doing. This guy told us that he's this master left, this master level practitioner of a sport and now I'm looking at guys that are training here and holy shit, none of it's the same. And that was like this big splintering. And I'll tell you this, the guys that have come up behind them, I've not seen too many of them actually use the kettlebells the way that they make the most sense. And, you know, the fast lifts for high reps, like the way that the, the result these Russians get doing the actual sport is mind blowing. How much strength endurance these people develop. The model of using a kettlebell, like a powerlifting kind of fucking shit, but, but it's all light because some people say their goal is to press a 48. But if you go to any gym in America and you tell someone like, yeah, the ultimate in strength would be to press a hundred pound dumbbell overhead. They'd be like, no, it's not. There's guys doing that literally every-. like the whole shit got hijacked. So, uh, I think it's a phenomenal training tool. I think that the two ways you're going to go with it is either you're just going to do with it whatever you're doing or you're going to use it the way that they're getting these particular results. But, but the idea that there's only one way to lift it and if you don't do it that way, you're going to get hurt. That's all nonsense, man.
0: I agree with you 100%. And uh, that's something like I was, I was buying into that, uh, that. I was drinking that Kool-Aid for a bit. Um, like I was just- because they get to sell you the
1: Kool-Aid. That's, the biggest thing is, is not that you drank the Kool-Aid. It's that you got sold the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I know I was sold Kool-Aid too, but you know <laughs> what I mean? But one of the things that really changed my mind personally was one of the guys that was a major player on the field in strongman and grip was this guy, Andrew Derniat. If someone knows that name, there's a couple of reasons they might know him. They might know him because he was one of the first American master of sports in kettlebell lifting, like legit according to the actual standards. When I saw how Andrew did his kettlebell training and I compared that to all these guys I know and all their, you know, their big titles and all this shit talk. And I realized like, Holy shit, none of these people could handle Andrew's warm-up. And then I started to look at the guys who was training for that kettlebell lift. And it's like, man, what they're doing is getting such a specific result and it's, it's pretty well proven. They've been doing this thing over here. Now, what do I see all these guys selling over here something completely different and based on results, not very impressive because it's one thing if someone says like, you know, my goal is to get to where I could lift the 24 kilo kettlebell 200 times in 10 minutes. What do we know about that person? The day they cross that line, they will be much fitter than when they first started it. Right. And that gets diluted down because it's hard. You can't microwave that shit for me you can't show me three techniques and i hit those kind of you need to build that body so what you do need, they do you they what you actually have to put in word for that yeah man so the goalpost gets moved and it's like well it's it's not what you can do it's how well you can teach and that's <laughs> that's that was that was what killed it all is you get guys where they're they can talk a big game but they can't show you the numbers I guess, i'll say man like stick to that idea that if you wanna be strong, talk to people that are strong in the way you wanna be strong. Because there's a whole bunch of people who know the textbook answer, but you know, like, man, for me, I love construction. It would be so easy for somebody to watch a YouTube video demonstrating how to do the task, because you're just watching the video. But if I told you, now go build it, the question is, can you build it? It's not if you could tell me all the steps, You know what I mean? It's not if you the common pitfalls. It's can you do it? Um, And and for you, man, I'll tell you, like, the more that you take whatever direction you're going in next, if you're training and attached to that idea, like, okay, you know, hey, I want to get I want to get to 30 pull ups. If you want to get to 30 pull ups, the first person to talk to is someone who can do 31. If there's someone else and they're a PhD and they've read every book about pull ups, but they can only do 10, don't listen to them. Like, let them say whatever they're going to say, but, like, don't let that shit get stuck in there is my point.
0: For sure. And that's, uh, speaking about surrounding people that, um, you know, like, the way I want to train, that's, uh, I've been picking my podcast guests um, appropriately for that. Um, that's for sure. Uh, but it would be interesting, like, obviously, podcasts are good when you get controversial guests on as well. Um, or something that you don't, um, that you can have a, a, a good dialogue with and, and not uh, well, argue, but not like yell at each other, but like, just like, you know, have a good conversation. But, uh, so far all of my guests have been, uh, I agree with, with everything that they're saying and, and, uh, I've picked them that way. Um, so it'll be interesting when I get my first guest on that. I really have like a, a kind of a, uh, conversation with that we don't agree on. Um, well, you know,
1: man, here's the deal. This is how you're going to know you're going to get there. All right. The, the biggest point of contention that will make sense is when it's a money point of contention. So, Hey, if you ever bring a guest on and their argument is kettlebells are stupid and nobody should ever buy those. Well, that's going to be a pretty contentious show for sure. you and a guy who sells kettlebells. Right. Right. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, this is, is, is within some communities you get people that they defend other people even though they don't have a, a, a leg in a fight. And, and to me, um, there's probably some entertainment value in that in terms of, of uh, you know, although that was funny that they got a little cute and obnoxious on their show, right? But when people are actually trying to find their way into big goals, I will say it is so much more important to to actually find people who have either walked that same path, and I mean all the way, not that they know about like, hey man, I got a pretty good idea where, uh, where, you know, the Himalayas are at. I can point it out on a fucking Google map. That doesn't mean you'd call me to figure out how you're going to climb Everest though. Right. Like the guy you need to talk to is maybe there's this guy over here and dude, maybe he reads at a third grade level, but all he does is go up and down that mountain month after month. That's the dude to take you there. Right. And just, just, because in, in, in this, this thing in fitness where people want to attach all this academic bullshit to it, the craziest thing is go to a conference and just look at the people. Like just look at them. And, and the questions I want you to ask is how many of these people are like walking their walk? Right. You got fat loss coaches and they're 50 pounds overweight when they show up. You got guys that do nothing but talk about exercise technique. Oh, but by the way, they're doing all these fucking drugs. And it's like, no, wait a minute. Why, why do you need the drugs if the technique works? Right. right? If the technique worked, why would you still? So there's all these things. You just need to look at people and say, what's really going on with them? And are they just selling me something?
0: It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Adam. I uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you have made me feel uh, really welcome, and uh, it's been. Uh, I think it's, it's supposed to be the other way around. I'm supposed to make you feel really welcome, but you made That's me. I'm the more
1: experienced one here. It's all good, buddy. Yeah,
0: but thank you very much, sir. I very much appreciate it. Um, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, let's, uh, and in the future, uh, maybe we'll get another one going to your, uh, a a wealth of knowledge. Um, and there's definitely a lot more that I'd like to chat about with, uh, with grip. We went off topic today, but it was absolutely an amazing podcast. And, uh, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And, uh, I'll definitely be reaching out to you in the very near future, uh, for some designs on those, uh, dumbbells and, uh, some, some expertise for my training. So thank you very much for your time today, Adam. Um, And, uh, yeah, until next time, guys, uh, if you guys like the, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, um, please follow us and give us a rating on Apple or Spotify. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. And, uh, until next time, have a good one guys.